0: Well, greetings, Society Tastes, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show on the Planet Earth. The John Campion Show coming to you from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campion. It is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV, streaming, all sorts of good stuff. And guys, it is two days before Christmas. And I, I had said we weren't going to do another show before Christmas. I had said we were not going to do another show before Christmas. I was actually going to be going over and working on uh, my house today. Of course, Ann and I bought a house, and I was going to go over there today and work on the house of the renovations, but the renovation crews got it all under control. So I am here today, and we are going to do a show. And I'm so glad that we are because there are a number of really cool things that came up that we can talk about here that I'm very excited about. We're going to talk about soul i'm not going to give any spoilers but we're going to do a soul review i had a chance to watch soul the new pixar film very excited about that m night the sham hammer himself spoke with marvel and dc we're going to talk about the possibilities involved there warner brothers may very well have to backtrack on their whole thing all of our 2021 films are going to go to hbo max yeah apparently not we're going to talk about that and a few things more but listen guys before we get into the uh news stuff here i want to give you guys a thank you uh, because um, if you guys recall, if you watch the show on a regular basis, uh, I let you guys know, and you guys know for the last couple of years, Anne and I have a Christmas tradition where every year we do adopt a family. And adopt a family is something you can join through your local uh, government and your local city government and stuff like that, where it's a program in most cities where you can sign up to help a struggling family or family in need right now, a family that has some real hard needs right now at Christmas time, a family who wants to give their kids a Christmas and you can help buying them presents or you can help with meeting some of their basic family needs, whatever. And it's something that Ann and I do every year. And a bunch of you guys have told me that you have started doing adopt a family at Christmas time as well, which is like completely awesome to hear. So, I invited you guys a couple of weeks ago to use Super Chat badges, uh, and we would take all the money that came in from the Super Chat badges that one day to put towards this family that we've adopted this year. Thanks to the overwhelming response that you guys gave, um, we were able to get a much better laptop than we were going to get initially for, they have a young daughter who has no computer for school. We were able to buy her a, a better laptop than the one we were going to get. Plus, we were able to get a really good-sized Walmart gift card. Uh, we chose a Walmart gift card because, you know, a family that's struggling around Christmas time, they can use it to get food, they can use it to get clothing, or to get some other things that they might want or need around Christmas. And uh, Ann and I are going to go and meet with the family today and give the presents and stuff like that. And I just wanted to give you guys... A massive thank you for helping to make this family's Christmas a much better one than it would have been, and that's because of your generosity and um, uh, your kindness. So thank you guys very, very much for that, and it's going to make a really great, uh, a really great Christmas for a family that wasn't going to have one. So thank you guys for all of that. Another little piece of housekeeping uh, for us to talk about here. Of course, you guys know for this, this year, I was working on my documentary, Movie Trailers, a love story and it is now out and available. You can get it worldwide anywhere at vimeo.com slash on demand slash movie trailers, whatever country you live in, you can get it there. But if you happen to live in the U S or the UK, you also have the option of getting it on Amazon and it is there and available for you. Just go to Amazon and search for movie trailers, a love story. And that would be awesome. One quick request for all of you guys who do go and get the movie you know, Amazon says that less than 2% of people who get a product actually rate it, and that's been true for movie trailers. Only like less than 2% of people have actually left ratings. So if you watch the movie, please go on in and give a rating. If you thought it sucked, go on in and say it sucked. But if you thought it was good, please recommend it for people. That would help me out an awful lot. So thank you again to all you guys who have already checked it out and left all the great feedback. I thank you very, very much for that. All right, guys. With that down... Let's get into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion show? It's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them. Whenever you come across a big topic or story that you think should be a main story here on the John Campion show, simply go over anytime to www.thejohncampionshow.com/contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit and then maybe just maybe you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Warner Brother. <laughs> I love the, the play on words there. rights. comicbook.com is reporting that M. Night Shyamalan is in talks with DC and Marvel to direct a superhero movie. That's actually not true, but we'll get to that in a second. Between the two, I hope he directs an MCU movie because I think the MCU is too cookie cutter and formulaic and it would be a good twist to see them change things up with a director that indulges in surprise endings. Thoughts? Uh, Glass was terrible, but Split and Unbreakable were great. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in. And yeah, I, I got to agree with you. Glass was terrible. I was so excited for glass. I was so excited for glass because I mean, everybody likes unbreakable split was surprisingly good. And then of course we got glass and it didn't live up to the hype that we were kind of hoping for. And and that's fine. Whatever there have been, you see going around Twitter and right now in the last 24 hours, these things saying that it's being reported that M night is in talks with Marvel and DC to direct a movie. That is actually not the case. What has happened is that M. Night has recently revealed that he has had talks before, previously, past tense, uh, talking with these studios. Here's what came out. This is an interview he did with comicbook.com. And uh, he said the following. I've had many conversations over the years about many of the superheroes with many of the studios that own them and how would we would want to approach it. And it's one of those things that I think is my style. If there was ever a situation, I mean, I said, I did, I did, I did it. He, of course he made a superhero movie in Unbreakable. I made my comic book movie the way I wanted to make my comic book movie, but the minimalism, the insinuating, the not using CGI, all of that stuff is very different language. So whenever we've had those conversations in the past about X, Y, or Z person, it's your character or franchise. I get so nervous about like, hey, this is not what you would want me to do uh, to make it very quiet and tiny and introspective. So basically, what we've got here is M. Night has said he has spoken with these guys in the past. He's ha- he has had these conversations with these studios, and that's great. But he said, I never really wanted to jump at these things because the types of movies I make are not the types of movies that these guys would wanna do. And I've gotta say, he's absolutely correct. I don't think an M. Night movie would play well with MCU audiences or play particularly well with DC, EU audiences either. Look, when we go into these movies, we go in with certain expectations about what we are expecting to see in our comic book movie. You know, I talk about this a lot with um, Superman Returns. Superman Returns that had Brandon Routh, and I love Brandon Routh as Superman. I thought he was great. But it was a very different kind of movie from what an audience going to see a Superman movie rightfully were kind of expecting to see. You can't have a Superman movie where the big thing he fights is a falling airplane. That can't be your big action sequence or set piece for a movie like that, right? It's got to have something a little bit more to it. And I understand that. And for that reason, I've always said that I thought Superman returns was a very good movie, but it was a very poor comic book movie. If that makes any sense. I mean, I understood what they were going for. And I just think that while we can all appreciate a movie like unbreakable, I think a lot of people who who are going to see an MCU movie or a DC movie If they were going with those expectations, I can't help but wonder if people would walk out disappointed because not that it wasn't good, but it wasn't what we expect in those types of movies. And by the way, Warner brother, I would suggest that like MCU movies are not cookie cutter at all. I I reject that argument completely because Dr. Strange is a completely different kind of movie than Ant-Man was. And Ant-Man as as a heist kind of movie was incredibly different than Captain America Winter Soldier, more like a 70s political thriller. And that movie was very different from Avengers Endgame. And that movie was very different from whatever. I just don't agree with this notion that MCU puts out cookie cutter movies. There's nothing to substantiate that. Do they try to make them a little more lighthearted? Yes, they do, because that's what they believe the audience wants. Do they try to infuse it with some humor in all of them? Absolutely, because that's the balance they tend to strike. But beyond that, the movies are very different from each other. In the same way that I think DC movies are quite different from each other. I thought, for example, I thought obviously Harley Quinn uh, and the Birds of Prey was a very, very different movie than Aquaman, right? And all that kind of stuff. But it does raise the question if M. Knight were to do a Marvel or DC movie, which would be the better fit for him? Frankly, I think he could make a great movie regardless. He's also made some very, very crappy movies, but I think the better fit for him, honestly, for me, I think would be DC. I I think DC would be a good, a better fit. I don't even, I don't think DC would be a good fit for m 9 I don't, but I think it would be a better fit uh, because I think some of his Traditional tropes that he likes to use and at times uses very effectively. I think those things would fit in better in a world where the Dark Knight lives. Again, I don't think he would be a good fit for the DC universe, but he'd be a better fit there than he would be in the Marvel universe. So, just to sum up again, uh, let's clear that the one thing up. He is not in talks with Marvel and DC to make a movie. He has in the past had those discussions and kind of explained why it never really worked out. And I thought he made a lot of sense with the things he said. And I'm glad we get, when he makes good movies, I'm glad we get his movies outside of the DCU and the MCU. And one of the great things about Unbreakable, Split, and Glass, even though I didn't like Glass, but one of the great things about those movies is that they're not MCU or DC. I, I We need some of these types of movies that are not under the Marvel corporate banner And I love the Marvel corporate banner movies I do and are not under the DC corporate banner. And I like those movies too. But it's good that we get filmmakers like M. Night who makes movies outside of them when they work like Unbreakable and even when they don't work like Glass. I think it's good that those movies get made. So what I don't want to see happen is I don't want to have every filmmaker that comes up that wants to make comic book type material has to make a choice. You either make it with Marvel or you make it with DC. I, I want to see some more variations in that. So I'm kind of glad he didn't do it, to be honest with you. Question is, what do you guys think about that? Would you like to see M. Night Direct, a Marvel or DC film? Regardless of that, which one of the two banners do you think he would be a better fit for, theoretically? Jump down into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today... Gets submitted to us by Trenton Yearly, who writes, Hey, John and Rob. Well, Rob's not here two days before Christmas. Uh, one of the movies I've been looking forward to all year is Soul. Sucks that I'm, I don't get to see it in a proper theater, but I'm still excited to watch it on Disney+. I've seen some reviews for the movie, and they mostly look great. I was wondering if you've had a chance to see it yet, and if so, what you thought of it. Thank you, And Bring on the Filthy. All right, man. Thanks a lot for writing that in. And Soul is a movie that a lot of us have been looking forward to for a while. Obviously, this was a movie that was supposed to be in theaters a while ago. It got bumped. Then they announced it was going to come onto Disney Plus on Christmas Day. Makes for a hell of a Christmas Day. We got Wonder Woman 84, and we've got a new Pixar movie coming, and that's a good day. Anyway, that aside, I was actually given the review uh, link to go and watch Soul a while ago. But with the house situation, I just really haven't had time to go and do it. Finally, last night, Ann and I had some time. We sat down together and we watched Soul. I'm going to try very hard not to get into any spoiler stuff here. I'm going to talk in just general terms of themes and whatnot because I don't want to give much away. You guys have seen the trailers. You guys know what we're getting into. Now, it should also be pointed out that the movie right now has a very good critic rating. The critics are really liking this movie. As of right now, it's got a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes uh, after over 100 reviews have come in. That's really positive. I mean, that's, that's obviously absolutely spectacular. And I'll tell you right now that... If I I am a Rotten Tomatoes critic, I very rarely go and actually register my reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, but I can do it. If I were to go later today and register my review on Rotten Tomatoes, it would be one of the thumbs up ones. It would be one of the positive ones. It's a good film. It is, which is, you know, we expect nothing less from Pixar at this point. It is a very good film. Uh, And I enjoyed it and all that kind of stuff. Some people saying things like, it's the film of the year. With that, I disagree. I do not think it's the film of the year. I do not think it's a top five Pixar movie, but it's still very good and very enjoyable. It's got humor, but doesn't have the laughs of, say, The Incredibles. It has heart, but it doesn't have the same amount of heart as I found in, say, Coco, or maybe even Inside Out. What it does have, though, is it has WALL-E, and up-level moral of the story. I'll be honest with you. I got through about the first half of the movie. And as I got it through about the first, like I say, about half of the film, I was liking it okay, but I wasn't really getting into it. I, I admired the fact that they were doing something like real metaphysical and very different, and I appreciated that. But it wasn't until about halfway through the film that they really started to reveal to the audience what's the real moral of the story of this movie. Now, normally, when you look at any animated film, or or a lot of films in general, actually, not just animated films, when you look at a lot of these movies, you can pick up on what is the moral, what's going to be the ultimate message of this movie by about the 10 or 15, maybe 20-minute mark of the movie. When you watch Coco, which I love dearly, you can kind of tell the direction they're going in. The real moral of the story of Soul doesn't start, you think it's one thing, And then it changes, and you realize, oh, wow, they're actually going much deeper, and there's a much more meaningful, meaty kind of moral of the story to this. And I don't want to give away what it is, and I can't wait until after Christmas when some of you guys have had a chance to watch this film that we can talk about a little bit more openly, because I got to tell you, I loved the moral of the story. And without giving anything away, I'm just going to say this. The first half of the movie, you think the moral of the story is one thing. And that one thing is what's usually the moral of the story. Like, it's the same moral of the story that 80% of other movies do, right? Chase your dreams. Go after your goals. Get your big break, right? And those are good. And Soul makes you think that that's the point of this movie, soul makes you think if you watch the trailers right that's what you think the moral this is this guy you see from the trailers uh voiced by jamie fox by the way who does a really good job with it he's got this dream of music and you see in the trailers he finally gets his big break but on his way to his big break he falls down a manhole and uh, enters the the great before you know they reveal all this in the trailers so okay fine i mean that's what you know the thing he's got to get back and get his dream and all that kind of stuff But then again, halfway through the movie, you realize that's not what this movie is actually about. That's not the moral of the story. And I'll be honest with you. I found myself for about five minutes not even hearing the movie because what their moral of the story was hit me so hard, again, about halfway to three quarters of the way through the movie. When it hit me and I realized where they were going with it, I found myself actually wrestling with it and I didn't even realize for a couple of minutes that I wasn't even paying attention to the movie anymore because I was so wrapped up in the idea of what the ending message of the movie was going to be. And I found it very special and very powerful and I appreciated it a lot and I'm not going to say what it was, but I cannot wait to talk about it more. I cannot wait to talk about it more. So overall, Soul for me is a good film that has some laughs, has some heart. It's a charming little movie that doesn't really find its true strength until you get to what the moral of the story is. It is another solid, good Pixar outing that I enjoyed, uh, and I think you will too. Just don't go in expecting the absolute top, 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 top tier of what Pixar has to offer. Don't go in there expecting up, right? Don't go in there expecting The Incredibles, But it's not far below that and very enjoyable at the end of the day. And I think you guys will quite enjoy it. And I hope that the ending of it hits you as powerfully as it did for me. Question is, guys, what do you think about this? Where are your expectations right now for a movie like Soul? For me, a very enjoyable experience, even if it's not the best that Pixar has to offer. Once you guys see it, make sure you let me know what you think. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic Number three, shall we? And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Eric Brothers, who writes, Hello, John, and Merry Christmas season to you and yours. Thank you so much, Eric. I appreciate that. They finally dropped the first trailer for the new Eddie Murphy film, Coming to America 2. I'm old enough to remember going to see the first one in theaters, and I loved it. I still do today. I've been pumped to see this, But I have to admit the trailer didn't live up to my expectations. What did you think of it? Am I just setting the bar too high in my own mind? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, listen, one of the movies that we've been talking about for quite a while, one of the upcoming movies we've been talking about for quite a while, is the new Eddie Murphy Coming to America 2. Way overdue. This is a sequel in a movie that should have come out 10 years ago. But hey, whatever. We're getting it now. And after Dolomite, we're all waiting for the next thing of Eddie Murphy that we can sink our teeth into, which is great, and I'm looking forward to it. They finally released, of course, it's coming out on Amazon here shortly, but they finally released the first trailer for it. And I'm going to tell you, Eric, I kind of think the same way you do in the sense that I love the original. I must have seen it like 15 times. I'm very excited about the next one. The trailer was not very good. It's not terrible. I didn't find it to be awful. I didn't find it to be any of that. I just didn't find it to be very good. I thought it just way over-relied. The trailer itself did what I hope the movie doesn't do. It just way over-relied on the nostalgia of the original film. Hey, look, everybody. There's that character. Ooh, look, everyone. That character's back. And it was just kind of one big all-giant nostalgia fest. And I just didn't now they had the one joke in the trailer that really got me when all the guys in the barbershop are calling them the different names and the one guy goes hey couple of kids from the TV with the flies around you and then the then the barber's like oh no no that's too far that's too far I that made me laugh I thought that was pretty funny Um, And, you know, we also know what the, the movie is about. For those of you who might have missed some of it, this is the basic premise of the movie that they've revealed so far. Akeem, that's the Eddie Murphy character, learns that he has a long lost son in the United States and must return to America to meet the unlikely heir to the throne of Zamunda, a sequel to the 1988 comedy Coming to America. So they set it up and they set it up pretty well also in the trailer itself. Like the trailer itself sets it all up. And of course, we've got James Earl Jones back saying, My son, we we need a male heir. You you have a son in America. We have to go back. Arsenio Hall. By the way, can I just say it's I've been excited to see the return of Arsenio Hall. I am unapologetically one of those guys that have always had a soft spot for soft spot for Arsenio Hall. And I'm very happy to see him coming back. Anyway, there's that. Um but again, listen. I want to make sure to make it clear. I'm not saying that I thought the trailer completely sucked, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that the Coming to America 2 trailer turned me off of the idea of going to see the movie. It didn't. I'll I'll watch it on Amazon the day that it drops. I'm simply saying, you know, the job of a trailer, we're always saying this, is to take your expectation level for a movie, wherever it is, however high or low, and bump it up a couple of notches. I was already excited for Coming to America 2, this trailer did not make me more excited. That doesn't mean the movie's not going to be great. We've seen thousands of examples of mediocre trailers to fantastic movies and fantastic trailers to terrible movies. doesn't mean anything. I'm just saying that speaking of the trailer and only speaking of the trailer, uh, the trailer for me did absolutely nothing to get me more excited for the movie, uh, which is uh, kind of unfortunate for somebody like me because I'm excited for it. Anyway, question is, guys... What did you think of the trailer for Coming to America 2? I'm still excited to see the movie. Make no mistake about it. I absolutely am. This trailer just didn't make me more excited. Did it for you? Jump on down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four, shall we? And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Amid M., And Amid M. writes, Hi, John. First, thank you so much for your show that we can all look forward to every day. Well, thank you so much, Amid, and thank you for being here for that, man. I know the Warner Brothers situation has been all the talk lately. Did you see that it looks like they are going to cave in and put Dune into regular theater release and will pay legendary $250 million to keep Godzilla vs. Kong on HBO Max? What do you make of this development Thank you. All right, Amid. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And of course, one of the big stories in movie circles lately, of course, has been the out-of-nowhere announcement by Warner Brothers that they were, without talking to any of their directors, without talking to any of their production partners, without talking to any of their financiers, Warner Brothers, and without talking to a lot of Warner Brothers executives, who with this also caught by surprise, decided to unilaterally announce that all of their 2021 films We're going to go straight to HBO Max and also play in theaters on the same day and date instead of the traditional theatrical exclusive window and then go to streaming. This was not really all that surprising to hear, but what was surprising to hear was the part about the fact that they did it so underhanded that they did it like a cowardly little thief in the night. They didn't give anybody who has vested interests in these movies, the producers, the financers, the production companies, the actors, the directors, they gave none of them a heads up. And what we saw after that was this big, massive pushback from directors like Christopher Nolan, who dragged Warner Brothers over the coals. Denis Villeneuve, one of the hottest directors in the world, the director of Dune, dragged them over the coals and eviscerated them publicly. We've seen that we've also heard directors like James Gunn, Judd Apatow, and others coming out and speaking against Warner Brothers. We've heard that their production partners, Legendary Pictures, who actually paid the money to make a couple of those movies, is going to be taking them to court. All this kind of stuff. Well, now it looks like Warner Brothers maybe may have to backtrack a little bit uh, on that whole. We're releasing all of our 2021 movies on HBO Max. In a report in Deadline it basically got, this is what got said the deal. Cause it's right now. It sounds like legendary and Warner brothers are negotiating to try to avoid legendary taking Warner brothers to court over this. So they're working out a deal. This is what is being reported in deadline. The deal would keep Dune as a traditional theatrical release in order to maximize its franchise potential, and because it is slated for October of 2021, when COVID vaccines are expected to be widely distributed. Godzilla vs. Kong, which is the other film that Legendary financed for Warner Brothers, on the other hand, would still simultaneously be released in theaters and on HBO Max, but only if Warner shells out around $250 million or more to Legendary. That's a a big deal. That's a big thing. (laughs) So here's basically what's happening. All right, let's break this down. So Warner Brothers, it sounds like, in order to avoid Legendary taking them to court, and by the way, Legendary will win that court case. If that goes to court, Legendary will win. Warner Brothers knows this. And that's why they are negotiating with Legendary right now to try to work out a solution to not get taken to court. So, according to Deadline, what is on the table right now is that Warner Brothers will back off the idea that they'll release Dune on HBO Max. They won't. They'll put it into a traditional theatrical release in October when things are expected, at least what the medical professionals are telling us now, when they start to believe things will be kind of relatively back to normal. Whether they will or won't, we'll have to wait and see. But that's at least their assumption at this point. With Godzilla versus Kong, Legendary seems willing to allow Warner Brothers to continue with their plan to put on 2021, but they want $250 million for them to do that because $250 million is what Netflix had offered Legendary to put the movie on Netflix, Warner Brothers kiboshed the deal. And so now Legendary saying, okay, fine, you keep that over there, but you give us that money we were out because of you blocking the Netflix deal. You got to at least give us that. So that seems to be on the table as well. Okay, so it looks like Dune might be moving and they're going to have to fork out a lot of money for Godzilla versus Kong. Well, it's not just those movies, there's also another problem that Deadline points out. Another one of Warner Brothers' 2021 films is a Will Smith film about the father of Venus and Serena Williams. That movie that Will Smith is going to be starring in is called King Richard. Now, if the name of that movie sounds familiar, we've been talking about King Richard a lot around here lately because one of my regular guests, my friend Aaron Cummings, um, who has not been on the show in the last few weeks because of the COVID spikes and the new regulations, but uh, she'll be back, don't worry. We've been talking a lot about that movie because Aaron Cummings is going to be playing alongside Will Smith in that film. She's going to be in that film as well. So we've been talking a lot about it. Well, it turns out that King Richard has a contractual obligation to also be in theaters. To also be in theaters. Get this. Now, this is pop culture who's referencing the the story in Deadline. Smith's deal, this is Will Smith signed his deal, expressly calls for a theatrical-only release, sources say. And while he became the first big star to sign one of those $30 million Netflix salaries, plus pre-negotiated back-end deals several years ago on Bright, Warner Brothers only won the vigorous King Richard auction because its makers and the families of Venus and Serena Williams wanted to see the underdog story of their father, Richard, play on the big screen, the outlet reported. Let's read that first part again because this is incredibly important. Smith's deal, Will Smith's contractual deal with Warner Brothers, expressly calls and requires a theatrical-only release, their sources say. And on top of that, the family of Richard, Venus and Serena, they only agreed to this because they wanted to make sure their movie about their dad gets played on the big screen theatrically in a proper theatrical uh, exhibition. So we very well could be looking at a situation now where not only does Dune have to get a theatrical release now, not only does Warner Brothers now have to pony up an additional $250 million to Legendary just to put Godzilla versus Kong on HBO Max in its original release. Now it's also looking like another one of their films, King Richard, because of Will Smith's contract, It also looks like they're going to have to backtrack on that and put there. Now, this isn't official yet, but it looks like that's the way it's going to go. Now, here's where this can become very problematic for HBO and for Warner Brothers. Again, this is all their fault for being slimy, cowardly, little you know, cowards, thief in the night, sneaking around behind all their partners' backs and making some big public announcement without discussing it with the people who it affects the most. If they hadn't done that, they wouldn't be in this situation right now. But here's where it can get very messy. There is already a lot of grumbling, and this is why the agencies don't want to work with Warner Brothers right now. There's a lot of grumbling going around. That Wonder Woman 84, which is going straight to HBO Max on Christmas Day, They made a financial deal. Warner Brothers made a sweetheart financial deal with the Warner Brothers people or with the Wonder Woman 84 people, particularly Patty Jenkins, uh, Gal Gadot, and other financial interest holders that said, we're going to pretend like Wonder Woman 84 was going to make a billion dollars in the box office. And we're going to pay you all your bonuses based on a billion dollar box office. And I think that's fair, but they didn't give that same deal to all the other movies either. So now you have pissed off directors, pissed off actors, pissed off finance companies, pissed off agencies, and you also have all these other movies going, uh, how come you're not giving us our financial bonuses based on box office projections like you did for Wonder Woman 84? And here's the thing. Once you start acquiescing to some properties, it's like there are going to be other movies that go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, you said Dune was going to go straight to HBO Max, and now you're letting them get, the, get a proper theatrical release? Well, now we want that too. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, another movie says. You said all of our movies had to go to HBO Max, but now you're letting King Richard, the Will Smith movie, go go to theatrical? We want that too. It puts Warner Brothers into a very difficult position, a position that could have been easily avoided, easily avoided, if they had just taken the time to talk with the producers, production companies, directors, financers, agencies, if they had just taken the time to talk to all of those people first, instead of sneaking around like a sniveling little coward behind people's backs, they could have avoided this whole situation. They could have avoided all of it. So now they're going to have an even bigger fight on their hands with the other movies. So it's going to be interesting to see how all this turns out Again, The the advantage that Dune has and the advantage that King Richard has is that they had pre-existing contractual obligations that if they get taken to court, Warner Brothers will lose. So they're going to have to bend a knee to a couple of these films. But will that cause bigger problems with the other films that also want that theatrical release? I don't know. We're going to have to see how this unfolds. It's still an evolving situation. We're going to see how it all turns out. But I mean, right now it's kind of a mess. It will get worked out. And listen... As much as I bash on Warner Brothers for this particular move, I am a Warner Brothers fan. And I actually believe Warner Brothers has a lot of very smart people working over there. They also have some very stupid people working over there. But they also have some very smart people working there. Some of my closest friends are people that work over there. But they also have some very stupid people working there. I think they will get this all figured out and worked out. And what it will ultimately look like, I don't think we'll know probably until February. I honestly don't think we're going to get a real solid idea and indication about how this is all going to shake out and what it's all actually going to look like probably until sometime in February. At least that's my guess. But right now, Legendary has the complete upper hand. Will Smith has all the leverage. Because they have contracts that say this was supposed to happen with our movies and you broke those agreements. So now Warner Brothers is going to have to settle with them and negotiate before it gets to court because they will lose in court. And then they may that may start a domino effect with the other movies too. So I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. Question is, guys, what do you make of this whole mess right now? Do you actually think, I think it's pretty clear Dune will get its theatrical release pandemic pending but do you think this is the right move do you think they should also make allow some other films and filmmakers to have the choice to put it out theatrically do you think they should hold the line on some of them do you think they should say courts be damned we're just going to put them all on hbo max no matter what what do you guys think jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts okay guys with all of that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions. And if you want to send in a live comment or question, you can simply go to the tip link that's near the top of the description of this video. That's streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You can send in a question there. If it's reasonable, it'll be read on the show. And, of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And all of us here involved at the John Cambia Show, thank you guys very, very much for that. Okay, guys, let's jump over and start taking your live questions. We got a whole bunch to get through today. You know what? In today's show, we're going we're to go longer than our regular two-hour show today because I want to get through just as many, if not all, of the questions that got sent in today. It's our last show before Christmas, so let's jump on it and get right to it. We're going to start things off here with Kara Black, who writes... On the same week that the goat of Star Wars, Luke Skywalker, makes his epic return in The Mandalorian, the goat of football, Tom Brady, leads another epic comeback against the Atlanta Falcons. That team just can't catch a break. Hell yes, I love this. Yeah, Tom Brady threw for almost 400 yards, came back from 17 points down. Uh, Led the Buccaneers to a win over the Falcons. Of course, that is not even the biggest heartbreak he's given the Falcons. Tom Brady, of course, mounted the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history to win the Super Bowl. I believe it was his fifth one to win his fifth Super Bowl ring against the Atlanta Falcons when the Atlanta Falcons were up by like 20-something points in the third quarter. Anyway, yep, it's always good to see Tom doing well. Uh, He's not the same guy he used to be. He is in his 40s, but it's good to see Tom still kind of ripping it apart. All right, Alex Pitt writes, Hey, John, I saw Wonder Woman 84 in the cinema a few days ago. Good on you. Traveling a total of four hours to do so. I have to say I completely loved it. Uh, It was perfectly cast, emotional, and had a great narrative. And it's now my favorite DCEU film. That is awesome to hear, Alex. I'm glad you were able to see it the way movies are meant to be seen in theaters. I'm super thrilled that you were able to have that experience. I don't have that option around me right now, uh, unfortunately. Plus, with the pandemic spiking the way it is in my area. I probably wouldn't go anyway right now, so I'll be one of those people watching on HBO Max on Christmas Day. But uh, I've been hearing great things about it. I really like the first one. I love Patty Jenkins as a director. I, th- I Honestly, to me, she can do no wrong. Can't wait for her Star Wars Rogue Squadron movie. And I'm glad you had that experience, Alex. Thanks for sending in your experience. All right, Eric Lynch writes, Hey, John and Rob, who's not here today, I have done the math. Ahsoka is 45, Boba Fett is 41, Bo-Katan is fifty three, and Ezra, Luke, and Leia are all around the same age. Well, Luke and Leia are exactly the same age, at any rate, uh, are all around the same age at the time of the Mandalorian, which is twenty six to thirty, uh, with Ezra being one to two years younger. Yeah, I mean the one of the funniest things about Mandalorian, one of the great memes, um, one of the great memes I've seen in Mandalorian, is somebody put these two pictures together. And the two pictures were of um, Mando Morrison, who plays uh, who plays Boba Fett. So Mando's Boba Fett Mor- uh, Morrison dressed up as Boba Fett with the scars and everything right beside Katie Sackhoff's Bo-Katan. And it has them side by side. And the heading on the meme was something along the lines of, man, the years have been rough to Boba Fett, who's supposed to be like 15 years younger than Bo-Katan. And it's true. It is one of those little inconsistencies. It is one of those little inconsistencies. And that's fine. And that's okay. They're a little bit inconsistent with it. We've seen the last couple of years that Star Wars is more than happy to become a little inconsistent with their own, um, uh, um, a little inconsistent with their stuff and that's fine but yeah it, it is kind of funny at the same time when you see boba fett and bo-katan standing side by side all right next up james argenta writes over under 35 uh darth Plagueis or Sheev palpatine appear in the acolytes similar to how boba appeared in mandalorian season two uh the high republic era takes place between 300 uh, before the Battle of Yavin, and uh, eighty-two before the battle, years before the Battle of Yavin, uh, fifty years before Episode One, according to the new novels, yeah, which is kind of funny because originally when they announced the High Republic, they said it was like eight hundred to five hundred years prior to the events of Star Wars: A New Hope. Now, in a new book, they're saying the High Republic era was from 300 years to 80 something years before the events of New Hope. So I don't know, they changed their mind or they miscommunicated before or whatever. Anyway, because of those timelines and because of, I don't think we're going to see Palpatine. I think that's off the books. We're not going to see Palpatine. Plagueis is a possibility. I will say, over 35%. I wouldn't say 51%. I wouldn't say it's likely, but I'll say over 35% that we get a uh, Darth Plagueis in there. All right, next up. Hitchcock is the goat Writes Two episodes in the new Ahsoka show, she's struggling with a dilemma, feeling confused and in need of direction. Uh, right then, Anakin Skywalker's force ghost appears, Hayden Christensen, and says, hey, Snips, Oh, uh, why the long face? Yeah, I I, I, I don't know about that. No, no. And never will they say the name Snips again. I don't see them doing that. Anyway, what I do think is a possibility... Listen, Hayden Christensen's coming back, right? They've already announced that he's going to be an Obi-Wan. How he's going to be an Obi-Wan, they weren't really clear about that yet, but he's going to be there. With Hayden Christensen back in the fold, and from a narrative point of view, Ahsoka's connection to, to Anakin... It would make narrative and dramatic sense to have Anakin show up in it. Force, ghost, whatever. It would make narrative set. This is one of those things where it wouldn't just be fan service. And it wouldn't just be, you know, um, it wouldn't just be a gimmick or forced, no pun intended. It wouldn't just be forced or gimmick or fan service. There is actually legitimate, Narrative reason to have Anakin's Force Ghosts show up and commune and talk with uh, Ahsoka. So, therefore, I could. To- I'm not saying they will do it. I'm just saying I can totally see it happening, and it and it would be completely legitimate for them to do it. All right, next up, uh, Basil writes, pet peeve. Misrepresenting someone's language or ethnicity in films. This mostly happens with side characters like having an Iraqi character being uh, yet bringing in a a Moroccan actor and letting them speak in the Moroccan dialect as if it's Iraqi or uh, having someone speaking Japanese and let it pass as Korean just because it sounds Asian. Uh, this is very jarring for me, and easily takes me out of the scene. Whenever that happens, it's like the Italian scene from *Inglorious Bastards*. Gracias. Um, the Italian, by the way, Brad Pitt's Italian as an Italian. My, my real name is Giovanni. As an Italian, I can tell you that Brad Pitt's Italian in *Inglorious Bastards* is one of my favorite things in movies. I just I loved it for whatever reason. Anyway, I have no problem. When somebody, if, if a character is supposed to be a certain nationality, them casting an actor who's not that nationality, I don't generally have any problem with that because actors play people that they are not. What would bother me is if the character is supposed to be speaking Korean, but they have the actor speaking Japanese or vice versa. I mean, if the character is supposed to be speaking, let's say is supposed to be speaking Japanese. And they have an actor in there actually speaking Korean and trying to pass it off as Japanese to the audience. That's problematic. I mean that that would be, I can't think of any situations off the top of my head that I can actually draw those parallels. But if I were to notice that Basil, that would bother me too. Absolutely, absolutely it would. So I, I can. But you know, do me a favor. Can you email me? Just email me at john at the show.com. If you could email me and uh, give me a couple of examples where you've noticed that specific things happening, like they're supposed to be like in the movie, they're saying the character is speaking a certain language when they're actually speaking something else and just trying to pass it off. I would like to know that. I think that would be interesting to know. Thanks for sending that in Basil. All right, next up. Uh, Marie Seifring writes, hey, John, I really enjoyed watching your latest project. Movie trailers, a love story. Thank you so much for that, Marie. Uh, again on Amazon Prime. Great job. Thank you. And thank you so much for checking in. I appreciate, you know, it's it's always good for the soul when people tell you they appreciate the way you mowed the lawn, the way you did the dishes, the way you did a particular show, whatever. It's extra gratifying when it's something you work so hard on and so long for. Like I said, we worked a year on this and untold numbers of hours. And it was a, it was a passion project. I love movie trailers. And to do a documentary about them was incredibly fulfilling to me. One of my favorite things I've ever done in my career. So thank you so much for your kind words, Marie. I really appreciate that. All right, next up, Patrick Conway writes, I'm curious, will Favreau be the showrunner of Boba, Ahsoka, and New Republic? Or uh, are... are or will he be uh, delegated uh, running, show running duties into other members of Mando's team like Filoni show running Ahsoka because four shows seems like a lot. So this is my understanding. John Favreau is going to be the head of all of these shows. Boba Fett, Ahsoka, uh, Rangers of the New Republic and obviously Mandalorian. So he is the head guy over all of it. But he is not going to write... All of them. That's just way too much. He's already said that Filoni is going to write the majority of the Ahsoka Tano series. And I think that's appropriate. I mean, Dave Filoni's entire life is about that one character. So of course he should write the Ahsoka Tano uh, series. But which, by the way, I am surprisingly looking forward to. I, I can't believe... If you had told me six months ago that I would be looking forward to an Ahsoka Tano series a character I really don't like. If you had told me six months ago, I would be excited about a standalone Ahsoka Tano series. I would say you are drunk, sir. You are drunk and please step back. Um, And yet here we are six months later and John Campy is excited about a standalone Ahsoka Tano show. Go figure anyway. So I have no doubt uh, that some of the show running and some of the, the writing responsibilities uh, will be handed off to different people because John Favreau can't hands on directly write all the episodes and show run every single one. He will be the admiral. He'll be running the whole thing. Um, but I think you're going to see some other hands involved in there. Like I said, specifically Filoni doing the Ahsoka Tano show, which is, is kind of appropriate. All right, next up. Uh, Dan Murphy writes, Uh, John, I must say, I believe Lethal Weapon is more of a Christmas movie than Die Hard will ever be. Die Hard's not a Christmas movie. Just saying that. Uh, Just my personal opinion. uh, There is even a special Christmas gift Riggs gives Murtaugh at the end. Anyway, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you, Rob, Anne, and Aaron. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I know it comes up every year, but uh, I'm sorry. I side with Bruce Willis on this. Die Hard is a great movie. It is not a Christmas movie. It takes place at Christmas time, but it is no more a Christmas movie than that one Batman movie was a Thanksgiving movie. Yeah, it happens around Thanksgiving time. That doesn't make it that it's, it's not there. There's nothing in that movie that is about Christmas. It just happens to take place at Christmas time. Any more than another movie is a Saturday movie because the day it happens in the week is a Saturday. Sorry guys, it's not a Christmas movie. Now you can go on. You can, you can keep talking. Keep talking about how you think it's a Christmas movie. You go ahead. You go ahead. That's good. You believe what you want to believe. It ain't a Christmas movie. This debate will be going. It's a fun debate to have. Actually, this is one of, this is one me and Robert debate every year too, which is always good. I love the debate. It's a fun debate to have. Everybody's got their position on it. And you know what? Let me see if I can pull this up because I, I really like this. I, somebody sent this to me. Um, and let me see if I can pull it up here somebody sent it to me and I just loved it uh when I saw it let me see if I can go to my own uh Insta- I put it up on Instagram when I saw it yeah this I get a big kick out of this um it's it's um Samuel Jackson you know the scene from Star Wars when he says we do not grant you the the rank of master he says we do not grant you the rank of Christmas movie what this is outrageous this is unfair and yeah, I'm, I'm totally I'm totally agree with that that's just me, but a lot of other people don't. It's a fun debate for us to have every single year. So thanks for writing that in, man. All right, next up, uh, that was a Dan Murphy, who I happen to agree with. Uh, writes uh, Michael C. Every time I hear someone criticizing Warner Brothers for killing movies for killing movie theaters, I just roll my eyes. They gambled and lost hundreds of millions on Tenant. Now people are attacking them for wanting for waiting a year. Uh, that's one hundred or so million. Uh, kept them open. Well, no, that's a mis- thats a misrepresentation of the situation, Michael. That's completely misrepresenting the situation. Like even um, Denis Villeneuve, when he wrote the director of Dune, director of Blade Runner twenty forty nine, the director of Prisoners, the the director of Arrival. I mean, he's he's like one of the hottest directors in the world right now. When he wrote his article eviscerating Warner Brothers, he specifically said in it. I had no problem that Warner Brothers wanted to push the release date off a year. He said, I was cool with that. I understand that there's a pandemic. I understand that there are certain realities that we have to deal with first before this. And that's why Denis Villeneuve said, hey, I was perfectly fine them wanting to wait almost a year and delay my film. I was cool with that. I have no problem with that. None of the filmmakers... Um, that have come out and spoke out against them are complaining about the idea of bumping their movies back. What they're complaining about is that they were promising to get theatrical releases and instead of Warner Brothers being patient and waiting until it's all clear to put these movies out, instead of being patient, they decided to use those other people's movies as a marketing gimmick in a desperate attempt to have HBO Max try to catch up with Disney Plus, which has double their subscribers. Like the, everything that Warner Brothers says about H, the HBO Max 2021 move is a complete lie. Like Judd Apatow pointed that out very accurately. It's a complete lie. This is all just a marketing ploy to try to salvage and save HBO Max, a service, by the way, that I think is fantastic. I love HBO Max. It's, it's quickly become like one of my apps, probably my second favorite streaming app that I have next to Hulu. I have, I, I just love my Hulu app, I do. But probably my second favorite one right now is HBO Max. Yes, even over Disney Plus. But it's, what they're frustrated with is that, hey guys, instead of taking our movies and throwing them away and just throwing them at HBO Max to try to fix your HBO Max problem, be patient Wait another six to eight to nine months, then release them in theaters, then put them on HBO Max. Now, you can agree or disagree with the move, but the thing is, you have you had these agreements. You had good faith. You have pissed off everybody in the industry, and now they're facing legal challenges from probably Will Smith, from Legendary. They're probably going to face other legal challenges, and they'll probably lose a lot of them because they handled this badly. They handled this badly. So the tenant situation is not a good metric because nobody else, other than Christopher Nolan, nobody else is asking Warner Brothers, release our movies right now. So that's a misnomer. That's a total misnomer. Nobody, like, what you said makes more sense if all these movies, if Denis Villeneuve and Matrix and, and King Richard, if all these movies were insisting to be released right now then what you said would be completely applicable. However, they're not asking for their movies to be released right now in the same environment and predicament that Tenant was in. They're not asking for the same thing. They're asking for patience. And maybe it's the right move, maybe it's the wrong move. The bottom line is Warner Brothers did the wrong thing by not consulting all the people they had made good faith deals with and then went behind their backs and made a public announcement without consulting them. That was the one thing that there's no getting around. There's no semantics. That was wrong for them to do. It may be right or wrong to try to put your movies on HBO Max. We can debate that. There's, we can debate whether that's right or wrong. Well, there's no debating. You cannot win the argument that them going behind the backs of the people who paid for the movies, of the people who produced the movies, of the people who directed the movies, of the agencies who endorsed the movies, the actors who performed the movies, the writers who wrote the movies, you, there's no argument you can stand on that justifies Warner Brothers like a cowardly little thief in the night, sneaking behind all of their backs and making a public announcement that contradicts the pre-existing good faith agreements they had with all those other parties. That part, there's no getting around. Maybe it's a good idea to put the movies on HBO Max. Maybe it's a bad idea. There's an argument to be had there on both sides. There's no getting around that Warner Brothers is thousand percent in the wrong for the way they managed it, the way they dealt with it, and how they came to that conclusion without consulting their partners. That was just wrong, and now it's got them in a lot in in this high in bullshit right now. They're deep, they're deep into it, and it's going to cost them. And uh, but we'll see how it all kind of goes. But Michael, I, again, let me reemphasize: if all those other films. We're asking for what Christopher Nolan wanted. Release our movies right now. I would totally agree with you. Just, just so we know, we're on the same page there. I would totally agree with you on that. All right, next up. Catman writes, with Wonder Woman coming out on the same day that you can watch it at home and half of the theaters closed, how much do you think Wonder Woman will make in the US theaters in the first month? Well, not much. <laughs> not much. I mean, it's you just pointed out, there's two big strikes against it, right? Against whatever theatrical performance it can have. Number one, so many of the theaters are closed. And we're in, in massive spikes of the pandemic right now. So there's one. The other one, of course, is that's being streamed available for free on HBO. Free if you have HBO Max. It's being streamed for free. And really, then there's a third strike. The third strike is it's going to be pirated like nobody's business because everybody can just record it at home and then pirate it. You can pirate any movie. But the easier it is to pirate, the more piracies there's going to be. So there's your three strikes. One, most of the theaters are closed. Two, people can just watch at home same day. Three, it's going to be pirated the shit out of that movie. So I don't expect much. Wonder Woman just opened in theaters in China and only made half of what the number one movie made. Like one of the a Chinese movie made like 36, 38 million dollars on the weekend that Wonder Woman opened and Wonder Woman only made half of that. That's not a good sign. Not that DC movies have ever been like massive hits in China. So, I mean, it's not it's not really all that comparable, I suppose. But I, I really don't know. It's not going to be good. Let's just put it that way. It's not going to be as good as it sounds like it deserves. Because from every account, I haven't seen Wonder Woman 84 yet. From every account I've heard, the movie's great. And it's just not going to make the money it deserves. And that's circumstances. It is what it is. And you know what? Wonder Woman is one of those movies that it originally was going to come out a year ago. I get. Wonder Woman is one of those movies that even I'm like, yeah, you don't want to put Wonder Woman off another nine months put it out on HBO max at this point. It, it, it was originally supposed to come out a year ago. Now we're talking about putting it out close to two years after it was originally going to come out and eh, put that one on HBO max. It's an unfortunate situation, but they're making the best of it that they can. All right. Uh, next up, we've got Dave XP who writes, John, How soon until the movie industry starts diving in more into the deepfake technology? Do you think that would have helped the last scene in The Mandalorian uh, look more convincing? The CG didn't bother me though. Um, They're going to have to be very careful with deepfake because California and New York have just recently passed new laws that is kind of making deepfake illegal. Like you cannot use somebody's image, whatever, without their permission. Now, obviously with Mandalorian and Luke, that's not a problem because obviously Mark Hamill gave his permission, so they can do whatever they want. Um, uh, by the way, can I just can I just throw this out there? There is going around this comparison video. Have you seen this on social media? There's this comparison video going around that has the Luke in Mandalorian season 2 as it is and then side by side with a deep fake Luke in Mandalorian season 2. And a bunch of people saying, "Oh, look how much better the deep fake one looks at." I'm like, "Oh, wow, let's see that." And I watch it I'm like, there's really not much difference. There really wasn't a lot of difference. I yeah, I I don't I don't know. I don't know, but it's it, the deep fake stuff is going to become more and more problematic cuz more and more laws are going to get passed against it. So it's it's going to be interesting to see. Look, CG, deep fake, they're all they're both cousins of each other. The, the distinguishing lines between them aren't all that radical. So it's going to be really interesting to see how any technology uh, in filmmaking really advances there. All right, next up. <clears throat> that was Dave XP. Okay, next up we've got uh Baylor Girl writes dichotomy. Din Jardin uh, uh I keep wanting to say I want to put a D in his last name. Uh Jarin Beats Moff Gideon takes Darksaber. Saber. And Bo Katan can't take leadership of Mandalore versus Fennec Shan kills almost everyone in Hutt's Palace but leaves Bib Fortuna for Boba Fett. Boba Fett takes the throne. Yep, a little bit of a difference there. By the way, it's funny, Ann and I were driving in our car last night. Where were we just coming from? I can't remember. But anyway, Ann and I were driving in our car and we started talking about the episode and we're talking about Bib Fortuna. And like, I think it was Ann who was saying, poor Bib Fortuna, right? He didn't do anything. He's just having his day, eating some pie, right? I'm not trying to body shame Bib Fortuna, but he had put on a few pounds, right? And he might have left, he might have ate the uh jab of the hut leftovers. I'm not saying just, you know, he, uh, he he was skipping cardio day. Let's just say that. Bib Fortuna had been skipping cardio day. Anyway, poor Bib Fortuna. He wakes up in the morning, just a good day, right? I got my friends around me, got my henchmen. I'm sitting on the old throne. I got my, my Twi'lek servant dancing girl, just like old Jabba used to have. He's thinking he's having a good day. And out of nowhere, in comes Fennec and Boba Fett and kill him. But as good, as much as I know, Bib Fortuna never did anything to Boba Fett. Poor Poor Boba Fett. Can I just say this too? I put up a tweet I think it was like the day after the show. I said, coming in Christmas, 2021, the book of Bib Fortuna. And somebody wrote a comment on it and said, it must be a cookbook. And I'm like, oh, poor Bib Fortuna, poor Bib Fortuna. All right, next up, uh, we've got the Sock rights. My one complaint about the season finale were, uh, were the stormtroopers that Fought Bo Katan's group. They were just moving targets. Hell, I don't think they even fired more than once. Kind of undercut the tension, which is a shame because they were kick-ass otherwise. I mean, listen, no, there are several big problems. Let's 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 not pretend otherwise. There are several major problems there, and it's not just Mandalorian, it's all of Star Wars, right? I get it. Stormtroopers are notoriously bad shots. Other than only Imperial troopers are this precise. Other than that, like that bullshit lie. That's the first lie that Obi-Wan ever told to Luke was that way. Only Imperial troopers are this precise. Yeah. What are you smoking, old man? Anyway, it's it, everybody knows stormtroopers can't shoot, but at some point it becomes so bad that it breaks, as Robert Meyer Burnett would say, Verisimilitude. You have 10 stormtroopers in a hallway, in a narrow hallway. And there's 10 of them shooting at four targets in that narrow hallway. And 10 of them in a narrow hallway at four targets going pew, 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 pew. And none of them can hit. None of them. You could close your eyes and squeeze off four shots and you're going to hit two of them. That's a problem. But here's the other big thing, all right? And I've, I've talked about this before, but this one really drives it home, okay? This one really drives it home. This is a plot device that has been used in Star Wars several times. Uh, sorry, I'm just pouring my drink here. Uh, that has been used in Star Wars several times, but has also been used in every in, in a lot of other comic book, action movies, and everything, okay? this is This one drives me nuts, okay? This one drives me nuts. And that is... The bad guys are better people than the good guys. Here's what I mean. In this episode, Mandalorian season two two finale, right? Mandalorian season two finale. As the group of four are running down the hallway, right? You got Sasha Banks, you got uh, Bo-Katan, you've got uh, Cara Dune, you got Fennec running down, right? What happens is, The stormtroopers get the drop on them. They're behind them on the bridge. Now, Sasha Banks and Bo-Katan, they jump off, right? And they disappear. Now, we know they'll later pop up behind the other stormtroopers. But now the stormtroopers have got... The the firefight had already started. They were all shooting at each other already. These stormtroopers get the drop on Cara Dune and Fennec. And what do they do? Do they shoot them? No, they'd been shooting at them already. But now that they got the drop on them, the stormtroopers decide that they're kind people. You know what? Let's not shoot these ladies. Let's not shoot them. Let's give them a chance to surrender peacefully and not die. So instead of blasting them in the back when they had the drop on them, they go, drop your weapons, freeze, Hands in the air. It's like, you weren't saying that before. You were firing at them before. Why are you suddenly magically saying, stop where you are? Why didn't you just shoot them and kill them? Instead, they give them a chance to go, freeze. It's like, why why would they say freeze? Why, why wouldn't they just shoot them? So they say freeze, and then you know what happens next. Next, Sasha Banks and Katie Sackhoff, they get the drop on those stormtroopers, but do they have the kindness in their heart to say no, stormtroopers, you freeze and drop your weapons. No, they do the smart thing. They get the drop on the stormtroopers behind them, and they just cold-bloodedly, those could have been fathers and brothers and sons and whatever, and they just shot them all in the back. Boom, 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 boom. But the stormtroopers are good guys. They don't want to shoot people in the back. They want to give them a chance to surrender. Maybe have their day in court. Maybe they're not so bad. Maybe they're not actually here to destroy the empire. Maybe they're here to help us out. And this is all one big misunderstanding. We better not shoot them. And it's not just Star Wars. We see this happen in comic book films and action films all the time. The bad guys get the drop on the good guys. And instead of just killing them and ending the movie, they say, freeze. What you're tr- You're trying to kill them. Why would you say freeze? Anyway, can you tell that this part bothers me? It it just irritates me, and that was on full effect in that episode of The Mandalorian. Anyway, there's that. Okay, let's move on, shall we? Okay, next up, uh, in Nolan in Nolan North in Trust writes. Uh, Hey John Rob I sent my super chat last Friday But somehow got missed I doubt it But I agree with the viewer Who said Gina Carano In this season of Mandalorian Was underwhelming Uh, She was all uh, grunts And kicking ass Nothing of the performance She gave previously And I am a fan Well I mean Look I If you guys have watched me For years You know I'm a Gina Carano fan I've been a fan of hers Ever since she was fighting in MMA But she is not the strongest thespian in the world. She'll be the first one to tell you that. She's getting better, but that's, it's really not her forte. Even in season one, she was used very limitedly. They didn't call on her to do anything, any major heavy thespian lifting. They kept it relatively simple, and they really let the things she brings to the table shine and i found they did a little bit more of that in season 2. Now again, listen, i don't think it's fair for us to expect that Gina Crono is going to be Meryl Streep. Okay? She's not. She's never going to be. What we want from Gina Crono is to show consistent growth, right? And then bring the things she brings to the table that other actresses can't. Her physical presence, that physicality she brings to it, that badassness. These are all things that are gifts. And the directors working with her need to know how to utilize those gifts and protect her and shield her from exposing her weaknesses as a thespian. So I, I and in that part, she listen, she delivered what she had to do. Look, was it a little cringy the way she said, one X-wing, oh, we're saved. Okay, no, it wasn't a great delivery, but you know what? It was good enough. It was good enough. And sometimes for performers like a Dave Batista, who, by the way, is actually not just getting better. Dave Batista's has actually gotten pretty good anyway. But when you're getting performers, particularly earlier in their careers with a Dave Batista or a Gina Carano, you got to accept, look, listen, if they're going to bring these great physicality elements to the screen, we've also got to accept that sometimes the thespianism may not be on par. And all we can ask for them is just make it good enough. And yeah, I agree. Oh, good. One X-Wing. We're saved. It wasn't a great delivery, but you know what? It was good enough. And by good enough, I mean it didn't take away from the scene. At least for me. I mean, I'm only speaking for myself, but it didn't take away from the moment. It didn't detract from the scene. And that's all I ask. That's all I ask. So I'm happy with it. Anyway, thanks for sending that in, man. All right, next up. Uh, In Nolan North, I Trust also writes, Hey, John Rob, I live in the U.K., And we have a new mutation of the virus. I heard about this uh, to contend with. Wonder Woman 84 opened last week and very few cinemas were showing it. I will have to come become Blackbeard and illegally download it on Christmas Day. Not proud, but I have no choice. Hey, listen, it, it also gets me to one of the things I say all the time. Piracy, never talk to me about piracy and try to justify it. There's no justifying it. You are literally stealing from people when you do it. When somebody makes something with the intention, of, when they invest themselves, their time, passion, talent, finances into creating something that is meant for retail sale and you find a way to circumvent it and just take it without paying for it, you can dance around it and try to justify it all you want. You're stealing. And you're hurting somebody while you do it. Rob and I often talk about like the effect that it had on, on John Schnepp when people were pirating his movie and how much it hurt him but you are, you're, you're hurting people and whatever. You can try to justify it wherever you want, but, but you get into a real gray area like the one you're in right now. Like what happens when you are a customer and you see a product and you want and are willing to pay for that product and you say, here's my money. I want I I want to pay you for, for what it is. I'd love to have it. But they give you no option to consume the product. And you're willing to pay. You don't want to pirate it. You don't want to dance around it. You want to go through every legitimate channel. And you want to pay for that product and that service. And you want to consume it for fair value. And you're willing to give them your money. Take my money, damn it. But they don't give you the option. Well, then what do you do? It's a good question. And that's why I've said for a while, like when when Mandalorian season one came out and Disney did not allow it to be broadcast on anything other than Disney Plus, but Disney Plus was only in so many places in the world. Like last year, I said, listen, I'm not going to give a definitive answer about whether it's okay to pirate it or not. But all I say is like no judgment from me though. Like if they're not even going to give you the option to get it, it's a gray area. And I'm not saying either way. I'm just saying I I wouldn't judge you, man. I wouldn't judge you for that. If they're not giving you a legitimate option to pay for it, I, I don't know what else... Again, no judgment for me. No judgment. I'm not saying either way. I'm just saying no judgment. Uh, Nolan also writes, "Uh, love your documentary and please add an extra 30 minutes for verisimilitude. I will give you a $25 uh, super chat when that happens. Merry Christmas to you and Rob. Love what you do um, and such an inspiration. Tried my own YouTube movie channel, but it hasn't worked for me. Back to the drawing board. Well, I mean, what do you mean by it didn't work for you? Like, what do you mean by that? That it didn't work for you? Are you meaning like it like you couldn't get it to work like you couldn't get the videos to upload or do you mean you couldn't get a thousand people watching it or do you mean you didn't enjoy it because listen I say this a lot if you want to start up your own YouTube channel it's not don't do it because you think you're going to get a thousand people watching you 99% of YouTube channels do not get a thousand views all right and that's fine do it because you enjoy doing it. Now, if you're saying it didn't work for you because you weren't having fun doing it, well, then that's, 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 that's the right answer. If you're not having fun doing it, don't do it. Don't do it. It's not work. It's supposed to be fun and enjoyable, but if you were having fun doing it, but you're like, oh, I only got like 20 people viewing my videos, okay. Then make videos, have fun, and let 20 other fans out there enjoy your contributions to the film fan community. Don't do it because you think you're going to turn it into a career. Do it because it's fun. So I would say if that's why you stopped, don't be discouraged, get back and do it again. But if you stopped doing it because you simply weren't having fun, then I totally get it. That's, that's a very, very good reason, if that's what you mean by that. All right, and thank you for checking out my documentary, man. I appreciate that. All right, next up, Blake writes... I'm one of those that didn't care for the last Jedi, but probably in the minority that still wants to see Ryan Johnson do his trilogy in star Wars. I think if you give him something new, that's not tied to anything he would crush it thoughts. Well, I mean, look, I, I am very much in the middle when it comes to the star Wars sequel trilogy. I love the force awakens. I love that movie. It is my favorite star Wars movie other than the original trilogy. Other than the, than the original trilogy, The Force Awakens is my favorite Star Wars movie. I liked The Last Jedi. There are elements I loved about it, and there are elements I hated about it. Overall, I like The Last Jedi. I like it. I particularly like what they did with Luke. I thought what they did with Luke, even though it wasn't what I wanted to see, I thought it was incredibly deep and interesting what they did with the character. Um. Not everybody agrees, and that's fine. And then there's The Rise of Skywalker, which I totally loathe. <laughs> I completely loathe The Rise of Skywalker. So I'm kind of in the middle of that. Ryan Johnson is, though, he put to, to bed any debate about whether he's a great filmmaker. We all knew before he signed up to do a Star Wars movie that he's a great filmmaker. We all knew that. And then as soon as he was out of Star Wars, what did he do? He go made, He made an Oscar film. In uh, Knives Out, and Knives Out is fan effing tastic. Knives Out is incredible. If you have not seen Knives Out, go watch Knives Out. So I love Ryan Johnson, despite the fact that you know I only liked the last shot. But listen, I've said this for a long time. You, I said ages ago that this Ryan Johnson trilogy is not going to happen. I said this ages ago. Even when they were still saying no, the Ryan Johnson trilogy is still going. I said no, it's not, it's not, because all you're doing if it it just doesn't make sense for Ryan Johnson. It doesn't make sense for Lucasfilm. There is a no win situation because the moment you announce a new Ryan Johnson Star Wars movie, you're going to have half of the Star Wars fan base be really excited, but you're also going to have half of the Star Wars fan base fighting against it immediately. So why start from behind the eight ball like that? Why start a Star Wars project where half of the Star Wars fan base is going to be like vigorously fighting it even before they shoot a single frame of it? It just doesn't make any sense. And look, whether you like The Last Jedi like I did, whether you loved The Last Jedi like some people, or whether you hated The Last Jedi like some people, you all have to agree that it was a divisive film. It was divisive. I liked it, but that doesn't mean other people are going to see the things the way it is. it's a divisive film. And so there's just no practical uh, thing. And, and And Mitchell, the movie man sends in a super chat badge. Thanks for that, Mitchell. Appreciate that, man. Um, it just doesn't, there's no practical reason to, to do it. If you start off behind the eight ball like that. So I get it. I think he could make a very good star Wars movie, potentially, because he is a great filmmaker and I appreciate him very much, but it just, it doesn't make sense to do it for him or for Lucasfilm or for Star Wars as a whole, unfortunately, but that is the situation that we're in. All right, next up, we've got uh, Ryan Loner writes home alone is now 30 years old. So weird to think about that. Uh, I like to think a young John Krasinski saw the scene with the nail on the stairs and thought I can do it better. Dude, seriously, John Krasinski, who of course directed, um, Uh, Quiet Place with his wife Emily Blunt that scene in A Quiet Place is the most freaky unnerving scene I've seen in any horror monster any kind of movie like that in years Uh, uh and John Salif sends in a super chat badge thank you for that John appreciate that man um just and, and there are alien monsters ripping people to pieces, but the mo- part in that movie that freaks me out so much is Emily Blunt walking down the stairs and you see that there's a little rusty nail sticking out of this one old stair and you know her foot's about to come down on it. I want to jump out of my skin every time I see that. That is the, seriously the most visually disturbing moment in a movie to me in a long time. Uh, so you're probably not wrong, by the way. 30 years, man, that's wild. Uh, Chessman writes, Someone brought up his Dark Materials a little while ago. Yep. And I wasn't even uh, tracking season two coming out. Got to binge it and holy crap, it blows season one out of the water. Some seriously awesome action set pieces and goosebumps inducing scenes. Yeah, listen, it, Dark Materials is a really interesting thing. I watched the first few episodes of season one and I liked it well enough, but it I just kind of fell away from it. I didn't make the conscious choice to stop watching it. I just, I just kind of fell away from it. And I found a lot of people did because when season two came out, nobody talked about it. Like when season one was debuting, a lot of people were chatting about it and talking about it. And I just think a lot of people fell away. So when season two came out, it wasn't it wasn't buzzed about at all. So I'm glad to hear that you did check it out and that you enjoyed it. Maybe it'll give me the, the motivation to get back and finish season one. And get into season two i i don't know if i will or not but i'm glad you saw it and i'm glad you enjoyed it and put it back on people's radar so thanks for that man all right next up Suthius writes hey guys a few years have passed as mando is chilling with a uh, grief and cardoon a uh, disheveled looking grogu walks in sobbing and sniffling uh, startled mando says kid what are you doing here what happened to your training uh grogu replies why did you make me go with him He's is effing weird. Every time I gave him something, he just threw it over his shoulder like he didn't give a shit. And he kept on trying to make me drink green milk straight out of an animal's teat. Yeah, I, I don't see them doing that. I don't see them doing that. But it has raised up the question a lot though, right? The question that's come up a lot since the Mandalorian finale has been, does Kylo kill Grogu as a part of the purge of the new Jedi Academy? My belief and again, this isn't based on any knowledge. It's simply a belief. Uh, and uh, Brian uh, Misfit sends in a super chat badge on the live chat. Thanks for that, Brian. appreciate that, man. Um, my belief of what will they'll say happens, and I don't know this. This is just me speculating, is that they're going to say at some point, for one reason or another, Luke will send Grogu away before things get bad. Either he'll send him away as a uh, little one. As the next stage of your training, you need to go and do this. Or little one, before you can truly merge with the force, you must first accept who you are. And only to do the only way to do that is to go and be among your people for some time. Therefore, I'm sending you to Master Yoda and Yaddle's home world, where you came from, to live there amongst the people so you can know who you are. And then come back in a few years. For whatever they do, I just think Luke at some point is going to send him away and uh, and it'll remain a mystery. I don't know. We'll have to wait and find out. All right. Next up, um, Baltazar Zix, I'll never pronounce that right, writes, hey, dude, been watching for years, early broom closet days. Thanks so much, man. The old original AMC days. Uh, thought I'd say hi. I just finished Mr. Robot and it's just entered my top five TV shows. And Sam uh, Smail to me is a top tier director. Just want to know what you think of the show slash Sam. Haven't watched it. I need to. That one is high on my list. There's a couple of what everybody says are great shows that I have not watched because I haven't watched a lot of TV. I, I don't watch tons of television. Now, I've been watching more television the past nine months because of the pandemic, but I've, I've usually pretty selective about the TV. I watch because most of my time is spent watching movies or writing content and talking about movies, but there are several shows right now that are very, very high on my list of things. I've got to watch one of them is um, Fargo. Fargo is is high up there. I got I to watch Fargo. Everybody talks about Fargo. I got to watch Fargo. Uh, but Mr. Robot is one of the ones as well. That's one I've got to see. And uh, so that one is timeless. I haven't watched it yet, but obviously Rami Malek went on, won an Academy Award. He's got international acclaim. He's going to be a Bond villain now. So a lot of cool things have come out of it. So I'm looking forward to checking it out, man. Thanks for keeping it on my radar. All right, next one out. Uh, Jesse writes, who had the better, oh, shit, I think I'm screwed face, Thanos watching Captain Marvel blow up the ship in Endgame, or Moff Gideon watching his death troopers get wrecked? Um, I'm going to say Moff Gideon did. The Thanos face was a good one, but I'm going to say the Moff Gideon one because, I mean, it, he he knew, look, Moff Gideon understands the universe. He's a moth in the Empire. He knew exactly who it was that was showing up on his ship. He knew exactly who it was. And he knew exactly the fact that my dark troopers don't stand a chance. Like he, you could just see it all in his face. He knew who showed up and he knew they were screwed. My dark troopers do not pose a threat to the dude that just showed up on my ship. We're screwed or I'm screwed, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to that one, Jesse. Good question, though. And Wakanda Forever sends in a super chat badge. Thank you, Wakanda Forever. Appreciate that, man. Um, all right, who's next here? Uh, joshing Around writes, "Hey John, love the show. Thank you so much. Do you think Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams are rethinking what they've done with Luke Skywalker after they rewatched the finale of The Mandalorian?" No. Uh, listen again. Look, you guys saw my review of the final episode of Mandalorian. You have seen me for years talking about all I want to see is Luke Skywalker show up, break out the green saber, and just wreck fools. You guys know, and you you've see how excited I got at seeing that. That being said, and Jeffrey Smith sends in a super chat badge. Thank you, Jeffrey. Um, that being said, let's not pretend there was anything Shakespearean going on there. All right? Let's not pretend there's anything Shakespearean going on there. I've known for years you've known for years everybody's known just drop in Luke Skywalker with a lightsaber to hell with anything else that's going on and everybody's gonna get excited and cheer and we did and I certainly did I pissed my pants but let's not then pretend it was something that it wasn't it was him showing up and going vroom 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 and then has some pretty lame dialogue and looked really bad, and they didn't really use him as part of the story. Dropping Luke Skywalker in to have a big action sequence and then go, I am. Uh, you go with him. Come, little one, with my non-moving face. He's waiting for your permission. And then there's some, some lame lines like, I will give my life to protect this child. You've never even met this child. You, they don't know who you are, but anyway... From a dramatic point of view, if you're trying to make a movie out of that, that becomes problematic. And all I'm saying is, I'm not saying Favreau would not have done a magnificent job with Luke in a full movie. I'm not saying he wouldn't have. But what I'm saying is, let's not compare the great fan thrill we get for just dropping in Luke for a minute, wrecking some fools with lightsabers, then having some pretty cheesy dialogue. Let's not compare that with what other filmmakers try to do In a larger scale, narrative driven, uh, deeper character study stuff rather than a very. And listen, you guys know how much I love the last episode of Mandalorian, but let's love it for what it is. It was a very one dimensional, very shallow Luke with a lightsaber. Boom, 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 boom. I'll take the child. Great. Great. And here's R2-D2, just for good measure. And we'll close the door, just like when the door opened on an elevator with me standing next to Vader. Now we'll have the closed one with me with little baby Yoda. It was a very one-dimensional, very shallow, but very thrilling kind of ending. Let's not try to compare what one filmmaker or set of filmmakers tried to do in a character-deep, narrative-driven, like movie-length thing with a quick three-minute, drop this character in with no dialogue, just wrecking the bad guys, which is what a lot of movies do, and then have them say a couple of cheesy lines, which was perfect for the Mandalorian season finale. I'm just saying, let's not pretend it was something that it was not, and let's not compare apples to oranges. So no, I don't think Filmmakers like J.J., and I hated his Rise of Skywalker, but I don't think filmmakers like that are regret decisions they made in, in telling their own stories. I can like or not like what they did, but, I mean, they, they don't regret the decisions they made just because of what somebody else does. Anyway, that's all I'm saying. All right, and uh, VegTrug uh, sends in a Super Chat badge. Thanks, VegTrug. Appreciate that, man. Uh, let's see. Who's next? Next up is... That was joshing around. Next up is Tony Rodriguez, who writes... So I heard the uh, Tamara Morrison stuff about his weight and I seen that they repainted Boba's armor, but do you think they're going to update his armor? It looked a little off and Mark Hamill was on set and his voice uh, in the credits. Also look at his hands. I'm not sure what we're talking about his hands. Anyway, do I think they're going to update Boba Fett's armor? I don't think so. I think it's always going to have the same basic color palette. He just repainted it. So I don't think they're going to change it much. And the Tamora Morrison thing about his weight, I, I I have not understood why that's an issue to anybody. I really don't. I don't understand why it's an issue to anyone. Um, and quite frankly, it really just wasn't even that bad. So I, I don't get why people, but no, I don't think they're going to be making any major updates to his armor because it's, it's going to want to honor his father's armor. Right. At most, he's gonna do some some paint job thing, but other than that, I don't think there's gonna be any fundamental changes. Um for that. Anyway, that's just me. All right, next up. Um uh Suthius writes Could it be that the book of Boba Fett may be the crime-filled underworld type show that Lucasfilm had talked about? Boba's book could just be full of names that he needs to deal with, kind of like Oliver's lifts and arrow. Fennec is his bookkeeper slash assassin. That could be one of the main th- I mean, look. You specifically ended that show with him taking over Jabba's empire, right? Or, you know, Bib Fortuna's empire, as short-lived as that was. So obviously there's going to be some underworld elements. They've talked about doing that for a long time. But let's also not forget that at the Disney Day presentation, one of the things Kathy Kennedy said was these shows are going to have a major crossover story arc together. So it's going to involve something else. I believe that crossover element is is going to be Grand Admiral Thrawn. I think Grand Admiral Thrawn will be the end game, if you will, of all of Book of Boba Fett, Mandalorian Season 3, Ahsoka Tano, uh, Rangers of the New Republic. I think somehow, way, shape, or form, Grand Admiral Thrawn is going to be the centerpiece of all that. I don't know that. I have no insider information on that. That's just me speculating. But I think that that's going to be the major crossover thing. So I don't think you're going to see the Book of Boba Fett deviate too far away. But we'll see how they kind of put that together. All right, next up. Uh, Mr. Nobody writes, uh, that's what happens when you close a gym during the pandemic, you get fat bid fortuna. That's right. Hey, Bid is like, look, I had a workout routine and then all of a sudden the gym's closed, but I still ate the same amount I did, but I wasn't burning the calories. Hey, ah, you get that. Uh, an anonymous viewer writes, What if Thrawn has a stiffy? If Thrawn has a stiffy, it'll be a glorious one and it'll be a well-thought out strategic stiffy. We can say that for sure. All right, Ethan Hunt writes, Hey, John, hope you and yours are doing well. We are doing well. Thank you, Ethan. When you get the chance, I highly recommend reading Jade City by Fonda Lee. It's an Asian mafia clan story with great characters and martial arts with a unique magic system. A magic system I think you'd enjoy. Really? I've never even heard of it. You know, honestly, give me a second. Let me see if I can look this up. Jade City. Uh, bringing up now... And it's a full, it's a saga. It's a saga. Jade city. Um, Bo- the green bone saga. Number one, a gripping Godfather esque saga of intergenerational blood feuds, vicious politics, vicious politics, magic, and Kung Fu. See, that's the magic part. That's kind of got me going. What, what's this? The call family is one of two crime syndicates that control the island of Kikon. It's the only place in the world that produces a rare magical jade which grants those with the right training and heritage superhuman abilities. You know what? I am right now I am going to go over to my Amazon account and I am going to get this audiobook. Cuz I've got like 12 unused audiobook credits right now. I'm going to buy this audiobook right now. Done. I've got it on my audiobook. Thank you for putting that on my radar, man. I really appreciate that. Okay, let's move on. Next up. Uh, Ethan Hunt also writes in one of two. When I was a kid, I went to see The Phantom Menace opening week. When waiting in line for tickets, a group of Star Trek dress people came in and protested the movie. They were shouting, breaking Star Wars merchandise by the line and overall harassing us. The cops were called and dispersed them, but it was by far the most bizarre movie going experience I had ever had. And my introduction to just how crazy fandoms can be. They only came to cause trouble because it was Star Wars and that was wild man. I mean, what? Here's the thing. I've seen many videos of like the opening night lines of The Phantom Menace. I, of course, uh, I camped out like a lot of people. I did camping out for Star Wars tickets, even though I wasn't going to buy tickets. Long story short, I was driving a thousand miles or 2000 miles back to Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, so I could watch The Phantom Menace in my favorite movie theater. But I didn't want to miss out on the experience of camping out for tickets. So a couple of buddies of mine in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, they were they set up a tent like three days before tickets went on sale. This is before, you know, um, Fandango and just buying tickets online. They were camping out on the sidewalk in tents and hundreds of people in line. And I went out and I hung out for a couple of days just so I could have that experience, even though I wasn't getting tickets there. Because after that, I got in my car and I drove 2,000 miles back to Hamilton so I could watch it in my favorite movie theater. Anyway, I've seen many videos of opening night or of, you know, Star Wars, The Phantom Menace lineups, whether they were days earlier or the night of, and we see people show up in Star Trek costumes. I believe 90% of the time that we saw that, it was just people having some fun, right? And, And let's be honest. I think it was fun for people in the Star Wars lines dressed up in their Star Wars things to have some trekkers show up, right? I think it was fun for I think 90% of the time it was probably just fun. That being said, there people can be stupid whether they're Star Wars fans, Star Trek fans, it doesn't matter. People in general can be stupid. So I'm sure there's probably 10% of the time where it was really people just trying to stir up some crap. And that's unfortunate. And if that was the case there, I'm glad the police probably showed up to to deal with that. So I'm glad that happened, Ethan. All right, next up. Uh, Mercer Create writes, just read a headline that the latest stimulus package could include $15 billion to help theaters. Is it too late? I don't think it is too late. A lot of it, we talked about this the other day uh, on the show a couple of days ago, but like, with Disney. Listen, let me bring up this email. Let me bring up this email here. Give me one second. Uh, let me find it first. Disney just sent me this big list of um of things that they have coming up here. All right. What look at the number that they're saying these are theatrical releases. Um so we've got The Kingsman, which is going to be theatrical. Uh, we've got Bob's burger, which they're still saying is going to be theatrical. They've got Wrong's gone. Ron's gone. Wrong is going to be theatrical. Black widow is theatrical. The, uh, Ryan Reynolds movie free guy is going to be theatrical. Uh, Cruella, uh, is going to be theatrical, although I believe I, I still believe they're going to put that Disney Plus, but they're still saying as of right now it's going to be theatrical. Luca is going to be theatrical. Shang-Chi is theatrical. Jungle Cruise is theatrical. Deep Water is theatrical. Uh, Death on the Nile is theatrical. The Last Duel, that's the Ben Affleck, uh, Matt Damon one, is going to be theatrical. Eternals is theatrical. Encanto is theatrical. Uh, West Side Story is theatrical. Um. everybody's talking about Jamie is that. I mean, here's the thing with all these movies that, like Disney's still saying, these are theatrical with Warner brothers getting now pushback, And it looks like Dune is going to have to go theatrical. Despite what they said, it looks like at any rate that King Richard will see how that works out. Maybe they work out a deal and they won't have to, but it looks like they're going to have to put that theatrical. Maybe they're going to have to backtrack on some others with the Russo brothers making a new deal with universal, To make a movie that they're making with um, uh, Millie Bobby Brown, but they agreed to do with Universal only under the stipulation that Universal agrees it gets a theatrical exclusive release. With all of that in play, if stimulus money can keep some movie theaters alive long enough for all these movies to come out, then there's a chance it may not be. It might be too late. It might be too late. There's there's a good part of me that believes it is too late. But there is still a chance. There is still hope there. So we'll see how that all kind of turns out. All right, next up. Uh, Life Entertainment writes, John Favre just confirmed on Good Morning America that the book of Boba Fett is its own thing. Yeah, we talked about that the other day. But goes into Mandalorian season three. Also, Bo-Katan got what she deserved. She was a total stuck-up whatever. I know it doesn't follow previous canon, but it does make the show interesting. Well, I mean, here's the thing about Bo-Katan, though. I was kind of listening in on a conversa- another conversation online about this. And so people brought up a good point that is Bo-Katan a little bit unlikable in Mo- Mandalorian? Yeah, she is a little bit unlikable. But you know, somebody brought up a really good point. From a character point of view, think about the crap she's been through the last 10, 15 years. Think about the crap she's been through. Would that make her a little, le- a little more jaded? Would that make her angrier? Would that make her a little less personable? It probably would. But we still see she's very honor-bound at the same time, right? We see that in the Mandalorian season finale. She's very, very honor-bound still, but but I see where you're coming from, Life Entertainment, I do. Uh, Nick Whitaker writes, I can't wait for Spider-Man 3. Every home, O oh, sapien ever is in this. I had somebody send me this this mock-up Spider-Man Home Alone 3 poster, but it had all three of the Spider-Men. It had every other character from every other Spider-Man. It had Anakin Skywalker and Boba Fett in it. It just, like, it had everything, and it was called Spider-Man. What the hell are we doing? Was the name of the po- It was a really well-done poster. Maybe you saw it online, but it was pretty funny. All right, next up, Russell Amador writes... Hey, John, with Christmas on the horizon, my favorite day of the year, uh, that also brings up two new movies, Disney's Soul and Wonder Woman uh, 84. Once the dust settles on Friday, which will you be tuning into first? Well, obviously, since I just reviewed Soul, uh, the one I will be tuning into first is Wonder Woman 84. I probably would have been tuning into Wonder Woman 84 anyway. Um, I'm not saying that I believe Wonder Woman 84 is going to be better than Soul, just that I'm really excited for Patty Jenkins' new movie. So I probably would have been tuning into Wonder Woman 84 first, Russell. That's gonna be the, that is going to be the question, Russell, that a lot of film fans are going to have to struggle with on Christmas. I mean, we get to watch them both. But it's like, okay, we just finished Christmas dinner or lunch or whatever it is you're doing. we turn on the TV, but what's first? Is it the new Pixar movie or is it the new DC movie? And that's going to be an argument in a lot of households across America, I think. All right, look how dumb that dog looks, writes. The Dark Troopers got killing machines right. Uh, what the post Terminator Two films got completely wrong. The here's the funny thing. This is true about Terminator movies. It's also true about vampire movies. The Terminator movies. The more, the longer a series of franchise go, the easier and easier it is to kill Terminators not the new Terminator that they bring in for every single movie, but like standard Terminators become more easier and easier to kill. A lot of times in vampire movies, as a franchise progresses, vampires become easier to kill. Look at Blade, right? In Blade, vampires, very tough to kill, man. Very, very tough to kill. Only the Daywalker can do it, right? By the time you get to Blade 3... A stubbed toe can kill a vampire. I mean, look, there's a lot of things wrong with Blade 3. Hannibal King! There's a lot of things wrong with Blade 3. But one of the things that pissed me off the most watching it was how utterly easy it is to kill vampires. It became the easiest thing in the world to kill vampires. Like, everything kills a vampire by the time you get to Blade 3. And, uh, and anyway, yeah, but dark troopers, man, they were terrifying. They were absolutely terrifying. Uh, hot trod Todd writes now that we know that the Jedi who took Grogu is not the same one who saved him from order 66. Do you think it'll ever be revisited and revealed in a future story arc or will it just become a mere footnote on Wikipedia? It kind of seems pointless now. Oh, I don't think it's pointless. Uh, uh-uh. uh. listen, one of the things that John Favreau has already showed with Mandalorian is his willingness to hint at a story thread and then wait an entire season to come back and revisit it. Look back in Mandalorian season one. At the end of the Tatooine episode, which was the worst episode of the season, but at the end of that episode, you see Fennec's body in the sand and just these boots come into frame. Just these boots, two feet. But we all knew who it was, right? But it's just these boot came in frame. Guess when they came back and revisited that? Not till a year later. Not till a year later did they come back and revisit that shot from season one. Jon Favreau made a very specific decision to bring up that he escaped from the Jedi Temple during the Purge. But his memory is blocked. He doesn't remember how. Listen, it would have been the easiest thing in the world... For Favreau to write, a caretaker in the Jedi Temple happened to be watching Baby Yoda at that time and got him away with a courier or something like that. That would have been easy, simple, no problem. You you could have come up with a million different reasons or convenient escapes for why Baby Grogu got out of the Jedi Temple before getting called, right? million different things. Favreau specifically wanted to say, left a mystery about it. He doesn't remember how he got out or what happened after that. (gasps) They will come back to this. That is yet another reason why when people say, wow, so they're done with baby Yoda will be back in Mandalorian season three. I don't know that from any insider source. It's not, I don't know that as a fact, but I have no doubt that baby Yoda will be back in Mandalorian season three. And if one of the reasons is not just that they need him in this damn show because everybody loves baby Yoda, not just because of that, but also because they gave us this big open story thread that, you know, John Favreau is going to pursue at some point, somehow, some way they will. And it'll become very relevant. It'll become very relevant. All right. Thanks for sending that in uh, hot trod. All right. Next up, uh yes, I Canada writes. I watched your movie and I really liked it. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that, dude. Uh, at what point do you think nerd slash geek culture became cool in the mainstream? Growing up, comic books and Star Wars was for losers. Uh, when and why did the paradigm shift occur to where they are now popular? I mean, if I really think about it, we could come up with. Um, uh, whatever. And killer dude 35 is trying to chastise me in the live chat saying he has a name, John, it's Grogu. No, it's baby Yoda. I'll you call him Grogu all you want. I understand that is his actual given name, but guess what? Uh, Wolverine has a real name. We still just call him Wolverine. We still just call him Wolverine. Uh, baby Yoda will always be baby Yoda to me. Anyway, just saying. Okay. Anyway, um, I I don't have a definitive answer. I can I can only tell you from my own personal experience. The moment I think the geek nerd culture became mainstream. And it had, it had been happening like let me just look this up here quickly. Um uh Like it you it was already starting to happen. Like you already you go all the way back to like 1984 with Revenge of the Nerds, right? There was already a transition happening where nerd geek culture was becoming prominent and becoming mainstream. But for me where it really happened for me personally was The Phantom Menace. Because you had this movie coming out that beca- that owned pop culture it wasn't just nerd culture. It wasn't just geek culture. That the, the coming of that movie completely dominated all of pop culture. Now, in my movie, movie trailer's A Love Story, which is broken into 12 chapters, one of the chapters specifically deals with the trailer for The Phantom Menace and how that trailer changed everything. And we go into that in some depth in my movie, so you can go and check it out. But yeah, for me, it was that when a a upcoming Star Wars movie was the talk of everything in pop culture and literally businesses, there were businesses closing down on opening day because so many of their employees were going to be gone, going to see the Phantom Menace at midnight the night before, or very early in the morning. So there were actually not all of them, but I know of like businesses that shut down. There were schools that closed down. It was crazy. So for me, I got to say, that's kind of, to me, when when the nerd geek culture really became, in a manifested way from my perception, became the mainstream, became the main thing. But I don't know. We we can all probably point to different points in time when that may have happened. All right, next up. Qui-Gon Gin and Tonic writes, hey, John, love this season of Mandalorian and excited what WandaVision is only three weeks away. I'm very excited for See that's I keep saying this. This is the great thing about this year over last year with Disney+. Plus." Last year, Man- Disney Plus launched with Mandalorian. And then nothing. Crickets. This year, Mandalorian season two ends. Just got to wait a couple weeks for WandaVision. I'm very excited about it. It's only three weeks away. What are your predictions for the show? Do you think they will find a way to revive Vision into present day? Also, did you hear about the Marvel Legends show? Yeah, we talked about the Marvel Legends show the other day. Um Listen, can they revive Vision back? Listen, this is the Marvel fake death universe, right? No character dies, particularly big, important characters. They don't die. It is the Marvel fake death universe. How many times do they have to bring Loki back for us to understand that, (laughs) right? Nobody's dead. This is the Marvel fake death universe. So that's not going to be a problem. I really don't have any predictions for the show, and that's the way I want it to be. I just want to go into the show. I don't want to go in with any preconceived biases, Because you know what we fans do? And we all do this. We're all guilty of it. We think about what we think is going to happen. And and then we get invested in what that theory is. And if they don't do what our theory is, then we're unhappy, right? We all do it. It's a really annoying thing about us as fans. But So I'm going into WandaVision trying to have absolutely no theories, having no expectations. I just want to go in and say, okay, guys, just give me what you got. Just give me what you got. I'm ready for it. You give me what you want to give me. Don't give me what I'm telling you you should do. Don't give me what I think should happen. Don't give me. Just give me what you're going to give me. That's what I'm excited about. So uh, I can't wait, man. I can't, I'm very, very excited for it. I'm very excited for it. Hopefully, I love it. And it won't be like my experience. I was so excited for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I still remember when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was about to debut oh my gosh, they're bringing the MCU to television. This is going to be so good. This is going to be so awesome. Cannot wait. And then I watched the first episode of Agent Shield. I'm like, well, that's shit. Um, So maybe that'll happen, but I don't think so. I think WandaVision is going to be awesome and I cannot wait for it to start. Uh, He also writes, "Um, what do you think of the Marvel Legends show that will premiere the week before? Finally, I was really impressed by the Falcon Winter Soldier trailer, particularly the scene of Falcon flying. I feel it was Marvel fixing their... uh, or flexing their muscles and letting us know these shows have a movie style budget. I agree. I I very much like that's why Falcon and Winter Soldier is my number one most anticipated uh, Disney plus MCU property coming up. I'm looking forward to all of them. She-Hulk, Miss Marvel, Hawkeye to to a degree, uh, WandaVision, you name it but the one I have been and continue to be most excited for is Falcon and Winter Soldier. And that trailer was great. It was great. The Loki trailer was completely bonkers, but, but that Falcon and Winter Soldier trailer was really good. And I'm looking forward to that. Uh, All right, next up we've got the Brad. I like that name tips in $50 to support the channel. Thank you, Brad so much for supporting the channel on that level, man. Seriously. Thank you very much. Uh, Greetings. huge fan and have been since the AMC days. Thank you so much, Brad. I appreciate that, man. A while back, I even made you a Photoshop of you as Luke with Yoda on. Was that you who made that? That is one of my favorite images. I don't I don't have it right on me right now. Let me just see if I can find this. Okay, if that's you, the Brad who made that for me. That is one of my favorite fan images that anybody has ever sent sent me. Uh, let me just see if I, I doubt I'm going to be able to find it. It would have been one of my profile pictures. Let me just, cause I want to show it to you guys if I can find it. And I don't know that I'm going to be able to find it. And I don't want to use up too much of everybody's time trying to find it. I keep looking. I keep looking. I keep looking. I don't think I'm going to find it. Anyway, he did this amazing Photoshop of me with baby Yo- or with me with Yoda on my back. Like me as Luke. It was absolutely fantastic. And I know I use it as my cover photo for some of my social media for a while. And for whatever reason, I cannot find it right now. That's okay. Whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll show it another time. Uh, anyway, I love that. This is one of my favorite fan pictures that anybody's ever sent into me. Seriously. And the photoshopping on it was incredible because it's a shot right out of empire with Luke and Yoda on his back, but he photoshopped my face and it got the lighting perfect and everything. It looks totally natural couldn't believe it. It was so good. I will find that picture. Um, and I will, I will show, put it on the show at some point. Cause he really did a great job. I, like I said, I had it for a while as my main image. You know what? Let me, let me, if you guys don't mind me wasting everybody's time, let me take one more quick look in another, in another one of my, um, photo albums on Facebook. Cause I think it was on Fa- I think I put it up on Facebook. I could be mistaken about that. Let me see. I don't want to just go breeze. Oh, here it is, here it is. Let me bring it up. I love this picture. The filthy you must bring. I look, look at that Photoshop work. Look at that Photoshop work. How good is that? Like, like I, I'm pretty good at Photoshop. I am pretty good at Photoshop. But that is like the, the trick about putting faces on it is making sure faces are at the right angles that you have the not only that you're blending it in right, but that you have the lighting perfectly right. Because if you look at the lighting sources on Yoda, it's the same as on my face. It's just an incredibly good job. I love that. Anyway, thank you for reminding me of, uh, of that one. The Brad, I thank you so much for making that. It has honestly been one of my favorite ones. That anybody's ever done. So thanks so much, dude. I really, really appreciate that. Um, and again, thank you for supporting the channel. and Thank you for being around for so long, Brad. Really appreciate it, man. All right, next up. Iran UK writes, I'm a law graduate and I want to transition into the TV industry like you. How did you do it? Also, I've written a script, but I don't know what to do with it. Uh, now to get moving. Also, would you ever consider making a video for a case for a TV show? Lost finale. But probably not. It's, 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 it's too old. Not to mention, I'm the wrong guy to make a case for the lost finale because I'm I I, I like the last season to a point but I didn't like the lost season finale so I can't do that um how listen how I got involved in in this field was really just organic and just sort of happened you know I started my own movie blog it just grew uh, I started making some money and then my fr- a couple of friends of mine had an intervention with me and told me I needed to quit my law firm job and do this full time because it's what I really loved. I did that. I continued to grow and I continued to make money and then AMC took notice of me, invited me to come and run their to create an online movie like video division and news division at first. We morphed that into video. It just kind of happened. There there's no like to go from this to this, do this. Here's what I did. I created a movie blog. It was called the movie blog. That was the name of it. The blog.com. It now belongs to some other people, but I created it. And I grew it and it grew 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 to a point that I started making money. So I mean, so how I did it will be very different from anybody else does it. If you want more information, go to YouTube. Uh let me see if I can possibly bring this up. I'm gonna try. Go to YouTube and start uh just search John Campia getting started. If you go to YouTube and search for John Campia getting started, there is a video there that the I most did. Most basic edit you can do. Um. Oh, that's that's not it at all. That's not the 50 right one. Readers at all. a day. There it is, which is great. So I I did this video years ago, in 2014. So like six and a half years ago, I made this video, but it's a two hour video on getting started in online film talk, doing your own blog, YouTube channel, podcast. Now, I need to update this thing and I need to make a new updated version of it for sure because it's like I said, it's been like six years. But all the principles um, that I would say today are still in that video. That's the video where all the basic principles and basically how I got started, what happened with me. What things that I did you can replicate, what things I did you can't replicate because they were unique to me. So you got to find the ones that are unique to you. And then some practical, you know, some practical steps how to use this software. Do you do this? Here's some of the things you need, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. So I would really recommend going out and checking out, uh, that video again, it's, it's like over six and a half years old now, but, uh, go and check that out. And I hope that will be helpful to you, my friend. Uh, and Xavier prime sends in a super chat badge on the, on the live chat. Thank you, Xavier. Appreciate that, man. Hope, I hope you find that helpful around. All right, next up the Brad also writes, Hey John and Rob. Yeah. Rob's not here today. Imagine the pitch meeting for star Trek four. So, instead of a villain bent on revenge using a doomsday device, we're going to have the crew answer a giant space turd by going to the 1980s and kidnapping whales. Perfect movie. It is crazy. There, There are some movies, right? There are some movies that when you hear the pitch for them, you think, that's ridiculous. But, when you think about that movie not getting made, that seems ridiculous. Star Trek 4, The Voyage Home, is my favorite Star Trek movie. The one with the whales. Computer. A keyboard. How quaint. It is my favorite Star Trek movie. But you're right. You go back and you sit down and you really think about what the pitch for that movie would have been. It probably would have been ridiculous. And like, People disagree with me, but honestly, out of the hundreds of pitches that came across Kathy Kennedy's desk, I think a lot of people, a lot of people had they been, um, had they been the head of Lucasfilm would have rejected John Favreau's Mandalorian pitch. I think nine out of 10 potential heads of Lucasfilm probably would have rejected John Favreau's Mandalorian pitch. This is Star Wars. You want to do something about a lone, a lone Western gunman on the Wild West, and you want it to be a Mandalorian who's not Boba Fett? Okay, thanks for sending in your submission. I mean, they really wouldn't, but but Kathy Kennedy saw the potential in it and gave it the green light, and away they went. So, but it is really crazy, and that is a good example of that, Brad. All right, next up, Andy Newton writes. Uh, movie Fart Blog just confirmed that the three three Aunt Mays will appear in Spider-Man 3. Oh, Lucky Favreau. I mean, yeah, there you go. It's everybody, right? At this point, Boba Fett is going to show up in Spider-Man 3. It's going to be that Pat, Patton Oswalt. You guys ever see that Patton Oswalt legendary MCU Star Wars crossover pitch that he gave on Parks and Rec? By the way, if you guys haven't seen that, when we're done the show today, go on YouTube, search Patton Oswalt, Parks and Rec, MCU, Star Wars. Just search for that. You will find one of the most epic geek rant things you've ever seen in your life. It is actually really, really great. All right, next up. Uh, Preston the Kryptonian writes, um, Hey, John, I have a question about the Mandalorians in general. In Empire Strikes Back, Boba Fett is, the fir- is first introduced uh, and he was a bounty hunter assigned to kill Han. So, no, 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 no. No disintegrations. He was not assigned to kill Han. He specifically wanted him alive. Vader wanted him alive. He had to capture him, had to capture him. Uh, So anyway, so my understanding at first is that he was viewed as one of the bad guys. And in Attack of the Clones, his dad created the clones. Well, no, no, he didn't create the clones. He was just the donor, the DNA that the uh, Kaminoans used to create the clones, So there's that. Uh, And in Mandalorian, Din ends up being the good guy when he is assigned to deliver Grogu. So now my understanding is that the Mandalorians are just neutral and just do what they're told for money. Now, listen, this has been, I've been saying this for a long time, just because Boba Fett was a bounty hunter does not mean all Mandalorians are bounty hunters. Mandalorians are like any other race of people in Star Wars or in anything. There's going to be good ones, there's going to be bad ones, there's going to be honorable ones, some not so honorable ones. It's going to be, it's going to be very, very varied. Now, which raised a bit of an eyebrow when they decided to make the Mandalorian, and Din was also a bounty hunter, but you know, made they it made sense in the environment that they were in. Not all of the Mandalorians there were bounty hunters. She said, this one was. So I agree. Uh, Mandalorians are just like anybody else. There's going to be good guys, bad guys, honorable ones, not so honorable ones. It runs the gambit, man. It totally runs the gambit. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, Preston. All right, next up. Luna writes, with the stimulus check independent theaters are getting, does this qualify AMC or just small theaters? I'm seeing contradictory information on that because I saw, uh, like in the last 24 hours, I saw some information coming out saying specifically that it will not include the larger theater chains like an AMC or a Regal or things like that. However, since that time, I've seen some other reports coming out by le- like legitimate news trades saying, actually it does, there is stuff in the things that does cover those things. So to be honest with you, I'm not really sure. I saw a bunch of things saying initially that it covered all theaters. Then I saw a bunch of things saying, actually it's only for a certain size companies but then i saw other things coming out saying actually it will cover them in these other stipulations so right now honestly i don't know the answer to that i think it is something that will this is a picture that will become more clear in the coming in the next 24 to 48 hours maybe just after christmas and then we'll find out more then but it's an important question luna and i'm glad you're bringing it up all right next up stubble mcshave writes In the COVID uh, relief bill, it says independent movie theaters. uh, Would you consider AMC and other theater chains to be independent? Uh, Is it possible that the big chains won't have a piece of the relief bill pie? Again, there's conflicting information I'm seeing right now. And I think we're going to have to wait and see how all of this. I don't see how. When you understand how many people Regal employs, And how many people AMC employs and how many people's jobs are dependent on those companies staying afloat. I cannot see how there would be a full stimulus bill that doesn't some way, that will help some theaters, but not others. They may be under different stipulations in the bill. Like there are hundreds of stipulations. The bill is like 500 pages long, right? The relief bill is like 500 pages long. They may not, they may not fall under the same thing, but again, I'm seeing conflicting information. I'm saying, I'm seeing some information being reported by, by good sources that places like AMC are excluded from it. But I'm now seeing others coming out saying, actually, it is included in this other way. The bottom line is I'm not really sure because I haven't read the 500 page document. So we'll see how more information kind of comes out uh, soon, Stubble. All right, next up, Justin uh, Kuler writes, According to Grace Randolph, the book of Boba Fett is taking Mando's season three release date, and Pedro Pascal won't return as Mandalorian. Is that true? P.S. The John Campus Show is one of the best movie channels out there. Keep doing the great work you do. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. No, that is not true. John Favreau, uh, in the last couple of days, has very specifically, although we knew this to be the case anyway, has very specifically clarified that no, no, Mandalorian. Season three and the book of Boba Fett are two different things. They are two separate things. Um, Now, look, uh, it should also, we'll also point out here that uh, Grace also claimed that um, halfway through production season two, that um, the star of the show, Pedro Pascal, stormed off and refused to do the rest of the show. That has been debunked. Uh, We already know, first he himself debunked it, but then we saw he does appear on all of the season, (laughs) including in the finale and all that kind of stuff. Now look, to be fair, and everybody knows that I have my differences with Grace Randolph. Nobody, everybody knows that. But in Grace's defense, to be honest, all somebody like Grace or me or other people in my position can do sometimes is when they get informed about something, You need, listen, I get informed about stuff all the time, all the time, every day. And I need to make a decision about what stuff do I pass on to my viewers and what stuff do I not. And sometimes, a lot of times, I'll pass stuff on to my viewers that then completely comes to pass and actually happens and is true. But sometimes I pass on information to my viewers that I got told that turns out was complete BS that I got told. Uh one of the best examples was I got told from a at the time very reliable source we're going back years now when I was still doing the movie blog I found out that Adrian Brody Academy Award winner Adrian Brody was going to be Ant-Man in the upcoming this is back when Edgar Wright was still attached to direct Ant-Man that Edgar Wright had cast Adrian Brody to be Ant-Man in his upcoming Ant-Man movie I got informed of that and I chose to pass out along to my audience less than 24 hours later Edgar Wright is writing uh yeah no that's not true <laughs> Adrian Brody is not our ant man right and that was that was embarrassing that was embarrassing for me because I had said I I said Adrian Brody's going to be ant man ladies and gentlemen and it turns out what I got told was incorrect I did get told that but what I got told was incorrect right? You take your wins, you take your losses. And that's why 95% of the time I never convey the stuff that I've been told because I've, I've taken a couple of those hits. There was that one. There was also the situation where before the force awakens came out, that Snoke was indeed Darth Plagueis. I remember Harloff and I both, He got it confirmed from one source. I got it confirmed by two other sources that Darth Plagueis was going to be, that Snoke was actually going to be Darth Plagueis. And so on an episode of Movie Talk, we ran with that. And for all of you guys who ever saw The Force Awakens, you know that was completely not true. And I got totally burned on that. I got totally burned on that. The point is, Everybody in my field, we get tons of information thrown at us all the time. And we do the best we can do to sift through what we think is real and what we think is not, and then pass on to our viewers and make a choice to pass on to viewers that which we think is real. I have zero doubt that Grace Randolph was told probably by someone or someones, plural, that had been reliable to her in the past. I have very little doubt that Grace Randolph was told that. I don't believe for a second that Grace Randolph made that up. I don't believe that for a hot second. And I say that as somebody who has had some issues and my own, my, my own personal opinions of Grace Randolph and all that kind of stuff. But I will tell you, I don't for a minute believe the narrative that Grace Randolph just made that up and decided to spread some lie. I don't believe that for a second. I believe what probably happened to her is what happens to all of us in my particular position. This was a situation where she probably got told something, felt that because of the way she trusted the person telling her, and maybe some other stuff as well that she felt comfortable moving forward and telling her audience, just like I did telling my audience back in the movie blog days that Adrian Brody was going to be Ant-Man and I was wrong. And so I think that's, I think that's the situation here. I think she just, you know, who's just uh, Rick elder in the, uh, in the chat saying she, she had a bad lead. Yeah. I think she had a bad lead. It happens Now, Some online people, we all make a decision about where is that line for us? How trusting are we going to be? I got burned twice. And so, you know, me now guys, I do not get into the scoop game. So much news comes out that I've known about for a month or more, but I wasn't a thousand percent sure. So I'm not going to run with this as a story, you know, sort of thing. Cause I've been burned in, in the past. Some feel a little bit more loose. They feel like, okay, I've been burned, but I, I can still run with this. This could be true. could be interesting. So we all have our own line that we draw and there's no right or wrong answer. It's just, we all have our own line. I just, I've seen a bunch of people ever since Pedro Pascal came out and debunked the thing that he had walked off and he wasn't in the second half of the season. And you know, Boba Fett is replacing Mando because ever since that happened, I've seen a bunch of people, um, Gang piling on Grace Randolph, and again, I, I'm I'm not a Grace Randolph fan, but I think it's unfair. I think it's unfair the way everybody's making her the scapegoat of that. Hey, listen, she's an she's an outlet like us. She got told some information. She trusted the sources she got told, and she chose to pass it on to her audience. Turns out she got burned, but we all do. We all do. So I think. Honestly, in this particular case, I, I really do think people need to cut her some slack. I do. I think people need to, to, to get off her back a little bit about that. But that's just me. All right. Anyway, next up. Um, do, 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 where are we again? That was Justin. Next up, we've got Garden Variety Vagabond, who writes, John, did you see last weekend's SNL? They had a sketch of middle-aged mutant <laughs> turtles. Someone there is watching your show. I did not know that. No, I didn't know they did that. How come I didn't know that? How come this is the first time hearing about this? Okay, I'm going to have to go and find that garden variety. Thank you for putting that on my radar. Who do I got to sue? Who do I got to sue? Anyway, next up, Wakandan Forever writes, Hey, John, don't laugh. Harrison Ford is widely considered the biggest star to come out of Star Wars. But for my money, I feel Mark Hamill has had the better career. Oh, you'd be losing that money, Wakandan forever. You would be losing that money. Uh, has had the better career. Luke Skywalker, best superhero villain in, in the Joker uh, and horror icon in Chucky. John Markerford. Oh, dude, that's not even close. That, that, uh, listen, I adore Mark Hamill. I adore Mark Hamill. Forever, I adore Mark Hamill. And Mark did a very good job of forging a career post-Star Wars for himself. You know, Star Wars especially came out in an era where getting typecast was a very real thing for actors. Like, you just get seen as one thing, and it's hard to break out of it. Hell, even in a modern context, Daniel Radcliffe, who is a very good actor, has had a difficult time being seen as anything but Harry Potter. So he's made some really good indie film decisions, and I think he will break out. I really do, because I think he's very talented. But that is the, the Harry Potter success has posed a bit of a problem for him at the same time. Mark Hamill found some really creative ways to really forge a career for himself after Star Wars in a brilliant way. But you know, you you cannot c- compare the career of Harrison Ford to Mark Hamill. You 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 just can't. You can't compare it. Um when you go down the the full resume of Harrison Ford, I mean. To call it impressive, it is one of the best careers ever in Hollywood. It is honestly one of the best careers overall. Um, it, it's it's probably a top twenty easily. So yeah, to me, there's there's no question. I love Mark Hamill desperately. By the way, my favorite commercials on TV right now are those Mark Hamill and um, um, why am I freezing on Patrick Stewart's name? Uh, Sir Patrick Stewart. Their uh, their food delivery commercials. With no tomatoes. Oh, I am my daddy. I love those commercials. I eat them up. But uh, yeah, you cannot compare mark's career to Harry, you can you can't compare most people's careers to harrison ford's career okay you can't there's mo you cannot compare most of them anyway Wakanda also writes yeah i cried so what number one black panther number two toy story all of them yeah toy stories are great number three end game number four inside out so beautiful number five superman two number six doctor strange number seven princess and the frog number eight uh barry gordy's and the last dragon Uh, Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Number nine, Flight of the Navigator. Oh, that's one that doesn't get mentioned a lot. Number 10, E.T. John, other than The Lion King, what films get you every time? Well, there's only been about seven films in history that have made me cry. Maybe less than that. Maybe more like five. And Lion King isn't one of them. Lion King gets me choked up. That opening of The Lion King, the live action one, gets me choked up. But like the only two I can even think about off the top of my head, that literally makes me cry uh and they cry for different reasons i'll I'll say i'll say three one is best of the best the eric roberts movie when dayhan gives his medal to tommy and says i offer myself as your new brother Mm, that's some chest thumping cry man cry right there Uh, the other one is a big surprise to a lot of people but it's the julia roberts film my best friend's wedding at the end of the film as she's standing there At watching the love of her life marry somebody else and her best friend, uh, the gay Rupert, I'm forgetting the actor's last name, Rupert something or other, but her gay best friend had traveled across the country to be there for her just because he knew she was going to need a friend there. That gets me every time. Seriously. Extreme displays of friendship and loyalty get me crying in theaters more than romance or sadness. I I don't know why, whatever. And then the other one that gets me every time is um, Life is Beautiful. the, The Roberto Benigni masterpiece, Life is Beautiful, Uh, I I've literally seen hell's angels. I'm not kidding. No exaggeration in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. I saw dudes wearing hell's angels patches, literally crying in a movie theater at the end of life is beautiful. One of the most perfect movies ever made. Uh, but really beyond that, I get chills in a lot of movies. I get, I get kind of choked up in a bunch, but the ones that just be like, cry, cry, best of the best, best friend's wedding, uh, Life is Beautiful. Three completely different types of films. Uh, so there's that. All right, just got a couple of minutes left here, guys. Uh, next up is Babu Is Life writes, I think the Sebastian Stan as Luke obsession comes from the fact that he did a joke. Uh, he did a joke Luke audition, uh, reading lines during an interview with Josh Horowitz, uh, as well as Mark Hamill himself endorsed him as a young Luke in an interview. The resemblance is there for sure. I it, it No, because most people aren't familiar with those. The one that got... All the attention was the meme. That was the one that got all the attention. Uh, it was really, wasn't was really a meme either per se. We just call it the meme. When somebody kind of put them side to side, did a little bit of Photoshopping and where Sebastian Stan looks like him. To me, whether somebody looks like somebody else is not the basis to hire an actor. That's not the basis you, you go on. There are a hundred other actors you could get who, with the right makeup, and if you had to, a little bit of prosthetics could make them look very much like young Mark Hamill did, uh, who might just be better actors to fit the part. Now, in Sebastian Stan's case, Sebastian Stan is also a terrific actor, so it works in that favor, too. But yeah, everybody simply got obsessed with the Sebastian Stan thing because, oh, look, he looks like him. And that's where the obsession started. Not that I'd be against it, because again, I uh, I think he's a great actor. All right, uh, Loverboy writes, I'm excited for Orlando show, but all I ask is two things from it. One, Donald Glover being creatively involved in it. Mm, no. Anyway, uh, two, it comes after Atlanta season three, damn it. Have you seen the show? In my opinion, it's one of the best shows on TV. I love Atlanta. I was a little bit late to the party on Atlanta. I think I, I binge season one after season one had finished and then I watched season two, Ann and then I watched season two as it came out. I really like Atlanta. The one episode at Drake's house was hilarious. Anyway, they're, they're all really good. It's a smart show. Listen, just because Donald Glover is great at on that show, and he is, he's won Emmys for it, that doesn't mean he should get involved creatively. Uh, I, I, listen, there are some exceptions. Generally speaking, leave the creative parts to the showrunners. Don't have the star of the show dictating because the star of the show, and again, there are exceptions to this. I get it. There are exceptions to this, but the star of the show has an inherent bias because they're the star of the show. I, I prefer the creative decision-making being made by people who are not starring in the show. It's different for like a movie where somebody writes the movie. It's like, okay, well, the it's already written. That role is written. I can put myself in that role. You're not going to change the role just because I'm starring in it. But I, I just, as as brilliant as Donald Glover is, and Ann and I are big fans, big fans, I, I think it would be best if he was not creatively involved. I think he should be the actor, come in and play thing. But I don't know. There's a lot of different ways to look at it. And there's ways they can make it work. He's certainly super talented though. There's no doubt about that. Uh, all right, next up. Casey McNatt writes, I watched the season two finale of the Mandalorian again. And I noticed Moff Gideon's reaction when Luke arrived. Do you think he knows exactly who Luke Skywalker is? Because in that moment, instead of acting cocky, he looks scared like he knows who Luke was. Oh, no doubt. Listen, if, if you're a part of the Emperor, first of all, the galaxy knows who Luke Skywalker is. The guy who brought down the Empire and certainly the remnants of the Empire will know what went wrong, right? That's information that would have gotten around the Imperial remnants very easily and very fast. When the moment he saw that X-Wing, he knew what was up. I, I am convinced. I mean, John Favreau may tell us something different someday, but for me, there is no doubt that Moff Gideon knew what was up. He knew he was done. Um, he knew he was absolutely donezo, and he knew his dark troopers stood no chance. He knew that was a fully fle- a full fledged Jedi. That was in that, and and the guy who took down the emperor, as far as he knew, was coming in, and he knew he was done. He knew he was absolutely done. Uh, All right, guys, listen, there are still more questions to come. Rebel Pilot Armor, Oh, Danny Boy Bono writes in as well, and we will get to all those. You know, I'm going to do a companion video a little bit later today uh, to put up either later tonight or early tomorrow for Christmas Eve, but I'm going to get through all the remaining questions that are left in a companion video that I will do a little bit later. You sent in those questions. I'm going to make sure they get answered properly in a video. But for now, guys, we've gone almost two and a half hours. My throat's starting to get a little bit sore. That'll do it for us for now, guys, for this episode of The John KB Show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day and joining us here as we talk about our favorite things in the world. Special thank you to all of you guys who sent in those live questions because number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel as you did it and all of us involved here with the show, thank you guys very, very much for supporting us on that level. Guys, It is, uh, this is probably the last time uh, I will speak to you live uh, before Christmas. Christmas is my favorite day of the year, has been my whole life. And whatever it is you need to do for yourself this Christmas, I hope that you have an enjoyable, relaxing, uh, whether you have to do it virtually or with the family you have in your house, whatever. I hope you guys have a wonderful, blessed, fantastic Christmas. And uh, let's have a good end to a really crappy 2020 let's ride that mandalorian season two finale uh momentum and let's ride it into having a great christmas season um count the blessings that we have in the midst of a terrible terrible year and may we all look forward to a better year ahead. Uh, Me and Rob will, of course, be back. We will do uh, the John Campus Show returns on Monday. So Rob and I will be back on Monday. Again, I'll have some companion videos to put up in the meantime. Uh, And guys, please remember, we're still in the midst of a brutal pandemic. Please do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That will do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name is John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.